Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? It's going okay this week. How are you? Yeah, it's, it's going okay this week, which it's sad that that's like a yay! Fewer horrible things are happening in the world right now. Of course, I'm saying that as Congress is trying to, like, nerf the Americans with Disabilities Act, so, like... Which is fun, because, like, um, my dad actually did a lot of um, disability rights work in Atlanta um, at a state level. So when I saw that circulating, I was just like, oh, of course they are. Of course, of course they are. Of course, here. On cheerier topics, though, last week tonight got renewed through 2020. That's very exciting for us. That is very exciting. And also, like, within tandem, like, um, Trevor Noah got an extension through, like, 2022, I want to say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so like everyone's coming everything's coming up late night talk show <laughs> <laughs> well i know i'm i'm super excited for Robin Thede's show which is starting in just a few weeks yeah. um and that one is uh, she was on difficult people this week and uh, yeah. i was so happy to see her pop up there and i was like yeah when's that where's her show premiering soon awesome. it's in a rundown we're gonna talk about it the week it premieres it's very exciting um yes also of course the week like, right after we finished recording last week and I was talking about catching up with Scientology in the aftermath, it won the Emmy at the Creative Arts Emmy for, like, documentary oh. series or something. Yeah, that's that's really neat. Look yeah. at you, trendsetter. I, what can I say? I'm on the pulse a season late. Yeah, you influenced all those Emmy voters. Clearly. That's that's how that's how time works. Um, the the At the top of the show here, I wanted to talk quick, quickly because, of course, I have seen very few... Uh, of the fall pilots i've seen like just a handful um you've seen a lot more of them and it is that traditional time of year noel where the yearly articles come out talking about how this is the worst fall tv season that has ever been a fall tv season and i say that in that mocking tone because i've already seen a couple pieces like that and i distinctly remember seeing pieces like that last year and the year before that and the year before that, and uh, note the pieces this fall are talking about how great last year was. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I get very tired of this conversation. Um, is that just a me thing? Do you have you noticed that happening, or is it? I'm just I'm just like looking for it. Yeah, I haven't noticed it, but I also don't doubt that you saw that because the fall season this year is actually really, really, really bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, we're going to talk about, like, one of the first premieres um, a little bit later in the show with the Orville, and mm. it's a sign of things to come. <laughs> um, but it, I, I do agree that we get into our of saying it every year, and it's not always true every year, and I think a lot of it gets overblown every year. Uh, I just... I, I do feel like it's true this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's just also a lot of just mediocre fall television now because it increasingly feels like a lot of shows get held back until mid season. And those are the shows where we go, you know, the season wasn't that bad. We got, we got those shows in April and those were good. And that's, that's what we, that's what we tend to remember as opposed to the stuff that gets canceled by December. Yeah. 
And I, I think that's sort of what happens. Um, and I would not be at all surprised if that's what happens uh, this year. Um, though certainly, like, it's just, it's not shaping up good in so far as, like, I was talking with a couple of my um, folks over at TV Guide, and Sevenwall also tweeted about this, and that Star Trek isn't sending out any screeners in advance. Mm-hmm. And they're only doing press screenings in New York and Los Angeles, and that's it. And that is, that is much like with movies that have embargoed reviews that you only get a screening, like, right before they come out. This is not a good sign. <laughs> Well, we're going to talk about this a bit when we get to the Orville in our week in TV. But um, that is like I saw people talking about this. Like, why would you try to be Star Trek? Like the Orville's obviously heavily inspired by Next Generation, by Star Trek. When there is a Star Trek show this year, it's like, um, guys, because Star Trek isn't trying to be Star Trek this year. It's not interested in actually being Star Trek. So that's, that's why. Um, So this is, will be an evolving conversation. The biggest thing for me with this, like how good or bad is the fall season? And is it the worst one ever? And everything's getting worse every year. And television is now terrible in the fall. Is that there used to be a lot more new shows in the fall. And, yeah. like, there are only a handful of new network shows on some of these channels. Like, some have more. We went through this in our preview. But, like, right. there are, like, three on certain networks. Three new shows. Yeah. And based on the average hit-to-miss ratio of new television shows being any good, if you only have three, it's probable that they're not, like, there's going to be maybe one decent one. And yeah. the other ones are going to be terrible. And that's not because they're worse this year. That's because there's fewer of them this year. Right, right. And so I just feel like it's really overblown. And there was a time not that long ago when you had all the premieres at one point. There were a lot more new shows in the fall. And cable was also trying to do them at the same time. So just there was so much more volume. You forgot the the terrible shows and the forgettable shows really quickly. And so you only remember the ones that stuck around and the ones that were good. So I just, I feel like there's a lot of confirmation bias with this conversation and there's not nearly as much. Well, if we actually look at which shows are getting renewed, that wouldn't have gotten renewed before. Like for example, Superstore is coming back for season three. No way would Superstore have been renewed. Uh, I don't know, four years ago, five years ago on NBC. Maybe even like literally four years ago. And the show is only three years it's old. It's only three years old. <laughs> so it's like, okay, Yes, I, the conversation that's more interesting to me is not, is this the worst batch of new shows? It's, is this the worst fall TV season? And when you have The Good Place coming back next week, and several of these other shows, that, like Speechless is coming back soon, uh, Blackish, and Fresh Off the Boat on ABC, like, this is a fall TV season that has plenty of TV that I care about, so I feel like that's the worthwhile conversation to have. Yeah, and I think your point about the volume is really important, Um, just in part because, like, I want to say, like, NBC and Fox are both just like, eh, here's three shows. Mm -hmm. And NBC, I think, really only cares about Will and Grace coming back. That's really all they care about, (laughs) because that's going back to 1996 by Science or Magic. Yeah, yeah, that's how it works. I will say that I was shocked by how evergreen... The characters felt in the ad I saw for them that well, the one I keep seeing, I should say. Right, I was like, uh, yeah, Karen, I've only the one seen with like Karen on the train, 
dancing to Fox News. I was like, actually, they look exactly the same. They feel exactly the same. And that seems appropriate. Right. I'm I'm surprised how well that ad works. I don't know if the show's going to work or that I care, but I was certainly surprised by that. Yeah, they they certainly feel like they've all been in like cryostasis and that we haven't gone through <laughs> Megan Mullally's talk show. Sean Hayes is an Uber producer. Uh-huh. Uh, Will McCormick's various failed projects at TNT. And, the Scarves uh, of Smash. Yeah, and Cop Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Cop Mom, Mom Cop, yes, of course. Uh, yeah, so, so you know, yeah, we'll... I, I've, we've gotten a field from, yeah, far afield from where we started, but, uh, but yeah... But- it's a it's a rough it's a rough crop of new shows. Even if like remembering that like, oh, for, especially in CBS's case, even if they're not good, quote unquote, they're all really competently made. Is yeah. one of the things which isn't something I could really ascribe to one of CW's pilots, if you remember, and just Valor <laughs> just seemed not very competent. But they're they're all competently made which is i think one of the other things to keep in mind when we're talking especially about new shows and the whole peak tv conversation is that a lot of shows generally are just now very very competent mm-hmm. but the metro our metrics have just gone up a little bit i think yeah and yeah. but we also expect a lot from shows where we're just kind of like wow yeah you've got a really good pedigree show and oh but you made me sit through a 90 minute pilot Oh. Not sure how I feel about that. More on that when we get to our week in drama. Uh, but speaking of new shows or newly returning shows, this week we're going to be talking about another show that never would have happened before this era of television. That's One Mississippi. We're talking about season two. Just uh, just uh, debuted last week on Amazon Prime. So that's going to be super fun. I, I just, I, I'm so glad that you wanted to do a season spotlight on this because I wouldn't have prioritized like watching it all all you know like all at once and mm-hmm. i'm so glad i did because i loved it <laughs> good i'm glad glad you loved it because it's hard not to love it and there's so much to dig into yeah with this season in particular um so yeah. i'm really i'm really looking forward to our discussion about it yeah so that's coming at the end of the podcast everyone but for now let's take a break let's listen to a little music and we'll come back with uh our weekend like so many comedies we're only going to talk about like a handful of them that we watched I watch a lot of comedies, everyone. You did. You watched a lot of comedies this week. Well, I just there's a lot of good there's comedies on, right. and nobody's talking about them. Survivor's Remorse, including I me. Say, I was about to say, but people are talking about BoJack Horseman. It's all my Twitter feed is this week is BoJack Horseman. <laughs> yes, and no one's talking about Survivor's Remorse, and yeah. very few are talking about Rick and Morty. And they're both mm-hmm. having terrific, terrific seasons. Very worthy of discussion. I talked about Survivor's Remorse, I want to say last week, certainly the week before. Yeah, yeah um, week before, for sure. Yeah, so I'm not going to talk about this week, but there's going to be plenty of other comedy to go around. So we'll take a break, listen to some music, and come back with our week in comedy right after this.
this week in comedy, we're going to talk a bit about the premiere, uh, season four premiere of Broad City, Sliding Doors. Then Noel's going to talk about Better Things, uh, September, its first episode. Uh, then I'll talk a bit about You're the Worst, Odysseus, and Rick and Morty, the Rick Lantis mix-up. Then we'll both talk the Insecure finale, Hella Perspective, and the younger finale, Irish Goodbye. I, we really probably should have done those in the opposite order, because... One of these things is not like the other, and one of them's not very good. Okay, we'll get there. Let's start with, I thought, a really fun premiere. That's Broad City Season 4, Sliding Doors. We we see how Abby and Alana met, um, and we have to decide which one, uh, which potential reality. Of course, this is drawing on that Gwyneth Paltrow vehicle from back in the day. Um, sliding doors, um, which one is their actual backstory and which one is not. Uh, and how, how did this one work for you? I, I mean, for, I thought it was a really, a really fun way to kick off the season with pr- pretty ridiculous hair and such. And I was, I was glad to have uh, it. Uh, what, uh, what did you think? No, I really, I really enjoyed this one as well. Uh, I, I was talking to someone about it while I was watching it. And I just, I, I, I told them that I've always really enjoyed these high concept episodes that they do where it's really just the two of them. And which is to be fair, like a number of them don't tend to be like this high concept. Mm-hmm. And I just, I really enjoyed it. I liked the exploration of that their lives either with one another or terrible without one another or terrible mm-hmm. but regardless of the reality their lives together are great and i really liked that message of it is just like even if they end up getting hit by a bus mm-hmm. their lives are happy together and i it was just really that that was such a nice way to sort of re restate the show in its fourth season so i just really enjoyed everything about this uh, apart from the really creepily CGI'd buff <laughs> bevers. Yeah. Um, it didn't quite like sync and match. So it was like very uncanny Valley, but it was deeply disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Uh, I, I thought it was so, so fun. And the way that they incorporated bevers and, and Jaime too. And it just, yeah, it was, it was, it was, delightful the madisons like that's such a terrific such a perfectly alana thing you know Mm -hmm. to have renamed all of her roommates madison in her mind uh which i did not question for a second by the way as soon as i saw them so excellent hair and makeup well done good performances from those actors um yeah this idea that they will always find their way back to each other even if like reality like splinters like in like this idea that in every reality every choice that each person in the multiverse theory every choice that every person makes creates and spawns a different universe in every one of those realities eventually abby and alana will find their way to each other and make each other so much happier <laughs> even if they get hit by a bus they're wonderfully happy together and they have the best day ever until they get hit by a bus um yeah it was it was super fun yeah, and there's just plenty of, and even when they're just sort of like meeting each other for the first time, they're immediately like super supportive of one another. It's just like, no, I, I really like your hair that kind of curly. Mm-hmm. It looks really good, kind of Rosie Perez-esque. And it, it's just <laughs> like, they're immediately just really, they, they're immediately really positive for one another. And it's just, it's so nice. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like this was also like, 
I don't remember really a lot of episodes from like season three or anything. Mm -hmm. And this felt like a really good sort of like way to come back into the show. And I, I, this is one I'll remember, which makes me happy. Yeah. I appreciate a standalone broad city. Um, Those are probably the ones I remember the most. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I remember certain arcs, but really more it's for me, it's about the, the discrete episodes that stick yeah. in my mind um and this is certainly like you said a good way to start the season and before we dive back into you know some of the other relationship issues and the dynamics between you know but i find myself uh shipping abby and and trent is it trent yeah i think so yeah full yeah. cycle guy uh, beyond my better judgment <laughs> uh, so yeah regardless of what happens with all that stuff this was a good way to kick off the season and, and uh, I hope other people check that I, I certainly enjoy it. it's like a bit of a weird time for to have this premiere I thought yeah but yeah. I'm sure people will find it the fans of the yeah. show certainly well yeah. yeah well what about better things I can't wait to watch the premiere listeners to peek behind the curtain we're recording a little earlier than usual I would have seen it but I don't have pretty pretty screeners so no uh, go ahead and I've heard a little bit about this so dive in assume our listeners have already seen this one right, what did you right. think of the better things premiere because I we, we previewed it a bit but like what did you think of it Right, so this is very much like a sort of bottle episode in which um, Sam's throwing a big party. Uh, Max basically sort of crashes the party with her 42-year-old boyfriend. Yeah, Kate's going to love this. And um, has been just sort of like being an adult, quote-unquote, with her 42-year-old boyfriend and his brother who hits on Sam by asking, are you open? Are you open? <laughs> Super gross. Yeah. And Sam's just like, I don't I don't really have time for any of this. Mm-hmm. And no, none of this is working. So, but the show then really nicely has Max realize that she's massively in over her head. And as much as she does not want to go to Sam mm-hmm. and be like, I'm not ready for any of this yet. She she ends up having to do it, and Sam has to save the day, basically. And that's basically, like, the thrust of the episode. There's, like, some other things sort of circul- circling around the episode that I'm assuming are going to recur um, a bit more as we proceed in the season. But that that was basically the large—that was, that was the big thrust of the episode, was that Max has been with this— much older guy, Sam's unhappy about it, and Sam fixes it because Max is just like, I don't want to do this. Um, so it's it's good. It's very sweet. It's not particularly like funny in a lot of ways, but it's it's still it feels very much like better things. And and that's that I think is what's important. The only other thing that I will say is that I feel like Duke got really mean <laughs> <laughs> between seasons. Um like she's really mean in this one. Um at least to one of her friends because they're they're upstairs playing like Truth or Dare. Hmm. And and a, she's it's just kind of like aggressive in a way that I don't remember Duke being aggressive in season one. And she dares one of her, one of her friends to go down to the party and shout penis, which is a very kid thing to do. Mm-hmm. But the, the kid is very not okay with doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and Duke's just like, suck it up. And it's just like, this is, this is weird. And I don't remember Duke being this mean. <laughs> yeah. But I think that fits with what we've seen yeah. of Duke so far and the age 
that she is. And definitely the age that Duke is, yes. That is very fitting for where Duke is. Massive so, character, like, swings feel very yeah. appropriate for, for that age and a little bit older, so... Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. So, um, but yeah, so no, it's very much better things. There hasn't been any massive overhauls or anything mm-hmm. along those lines. And yeah, we'll we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, I also have access to the next six episodes if I want. So, <laughs> hashtag screener privilege, hashtag. But I will, because then I'll just get them confused. And then I won't know <laughs> what we're talking about each week. <laughs> well, I'll just say hashtag I'm super jealous. That's the other thing. So, um <laughs> Yeah, certainly I'm looking way more forward to this than the other thing I watched this week that had a teenager dating a 42-year-old. More on that in our weekend drama. Um, but I did want to mention You're the Worst. Odysseus is this week's episode, so Jimmy comes back. And uh, apparently it's because his book is like, they had the first copy of it, and so that's why he re-entered the world, is because his book was getting published. Um, okay. And I just I had to mention it just for, like, the performances and writing and all that stuff was great, but, like, I had cash... Like, Jimmy texts Gretchen, hey, dot, dot, dot. And he's, like, puzzled, like, why hasn't she gotten back? It's so, like, appropriately, like, open-ended. She has the opportunity to, like, yell at me. And I know she's going to have some feelings that she's going to need to work through. And then it's going to be fine. Uh, kind of a thing. <laughs> and he can't fathom why she didn't respond positively or reach out after his hey ellipses text after abandoning her on a roadside on a mountain after proposing for three months. Um, and so she shows up at his house and just like gets in his face and like screams, Hey, dot, dot, dot. And then leaves. And it's amazing. It's like, uh, that is very good. I'm like, what is she going to, what's she going to do? Oh, that's perfect. Oh, I love it. (laughs) So yeah, watching the characters like respond to Jimmy being back and, and how he responds to that. And yeah, it was terrific. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) And there's a new character who could be recurring based on the fact that I recognize the actor. We'll see who, um, could be a lot of fun, but, uh, yeah, it's, it was a really satisfying cause like when, when they have those, you know, characters apart for any significant period of time or somebody screws over another character on any of these kinds of relationship driven shows, how they handle the next time they see each other can be a little tricky. And I thought they really nailed it here. So looking forward to the next one. You're the worst. I also wanted to mention Rick and Morty because <laughs> this is the Rick Lantis mix up. Uh, so Noel in this episode, um, okay, do you know about the, the Citadel? No. I know that one of my D&D characters is currently trapped in the thing called the Sunless Citadel, but I do not know what that means for the Rick, Rick and Morty show. Okay, so there is like a collection of Ricks and Mortys who live in okay. the Citadel. It's like all the, like, the multiverse versions of Rick and Morty. And then there's some who don't like our main characters. So, so okay. people from the Citadel, like, and... and Rick destroyed the Citadel last year, <laughs> last season, okay. completely. Um, killed everybody. And so then uh, Rick and Amorty show up in the garage to uh, raising money to rebuild the Citadel. And they're like, uh, no, I don't think so. We're about to go off and have a, a self-contained 20-minute adventure in Atlantis. What? <laughs> so, so then they go to Atlantis, but instead we follow back the other Rick and Morty back to the Citadel. And it's this awesome 
hilarious 20 minute look at these different Ricks and Mortys in these different socioeconomic statuses within the hierarchy of the Citadel. And there's a Morty who's running for president and the Mortys are an underclass in a significant way. Oh, it's just a bunch of Mortys shooting each other. Who cares? Kind of a thing. There's Mm -hmm. a Rick and Morty cop and like there's, then there's a Rick who is, who, who, sees the light and is like we need to over it's it's just this political commentary and this look at corruption and roles in society and like oh it's it's just and it's also commenting on all of those like the really pat easy ways that shows can take on these issues and it's so fun and clever and it they're just they're just killing it over at Rick and Morty this season. So, if any of that sounds interesting, listeners, check out Rick and Morty. This is a standalone one. You will get more from it if you've seen the other stuff and you like know what the Citadel is. But if you're willing to just go with it in a sci-fi kind of way, you'll be fine. You don't need to catch the backstory uh, too much. And it's just it's deliciously dark and um, nihilistic. <laughs> like it's just. Yeah, it's it, whenever you see these different iterations of Rick and Morty, sometimes they're great and sometimes they're like it just makes you really appreciate actually the ones <laughs> we have aren't that bad. Um uh, at least they're not like these they seem to have consciences consciences. Um so yeah, it, it was a really another really strong and at the end of the episode they come back from Atlantis and we cut back to the garage and and they're talking about their mermaid girlfriends and everything. Like it, it was just it was a really delightful kind of uh, standalone episode that also is commenting on having to be a standalone episode. And there's this whole intense drama happening in the Citadel, but we're not going to follow that because we're just a cartoon and that's not what anybody wants to watch. And it was great. It was a lot of fun. Way to go, Rick and Morty. Um, okay, let's move on. Nobody wants to just listen to me monologues. So let's move on to Insecure, which had its finale, Hella Perspective. We haven't talked about Insecure too much this season. Because, I, I mean, first, for me, I haven't had a lot to say other than it was really good. They're doing a really good job with the stuff that they always do. Um, so that's why I haven't felt the need to talk about it too much. But I, I wanted to dive in here a bit with season two, Noel, and see what you thought about it and, and, and like, the approach that this season has taken. So, so what did you think of this finale, Hella Perspective? Uh, I, I, I like the show. I liked its overall structure in terms of we're going to highlight Molly, Lawrence, and Issa um, over the course of a month. Um, even if sometimes it didn't feel like a month in some of the segments. In, it very much felt like a month in Lawrence's. And then everyone else was just, it felt like a collection of scenes. <laughs> um, but that's, that's, that's really neither here nor there because the focus, I think, worked generally well for highlighting where each of them sort of have been pretty much all season. Like one of the things I realized watching this is that it hasn't really felt like there's been a lot of like forward movement this season. And after watching Hell Perspective, I really realized that that was really purposeful in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways that they really wanted to demonstrate how much each each of the each of their three main characters have been sort of struggling to go anywhere and whether or not they're able to do that um and hell perspective like puts a little bit of a button on that whether or not they're being forced to 
in Issa's case or still sort of stuck in Lawrence's case or just wanting to just fall back in Molly's case um, or not getting rewarded also in Molly's case. I cannot believe they gave her a certificate. I know, we're right? Like, we're going to put you on the website. And I just went, Shiny that benefits you guys way tired. more than it benefits her to be on the website. <laughs> um, so... So no, I, I really I really enjoyed uh, what this did, and I I liked the season overall. But I sort of needed the finale to really appreciate it, hmm. and I was I was really glad with this, and I was glad they afforded like the time a little longer runtime to do that. Plus, we got to see all the Due North scenes. Um, <laughs> In their entirety, which was really nice. Uh, so, but how did you feel about the finale and like where all three of our characters ended up? Well, one of the things I've really enjoyed about season two is that it's very actively embracing, or it did actively embrace characters making bad decisions. Yes. Um, and and that like when so when they do make a healthier decision or a better decision for themselves, that has more weight and meaning. So what the goodbye we get with Issa and Lawrence here feels like a goodbye. Um, and yeah. because it's very directly contrasted with, you know, their hookup in the premiere and the fake out that they do in this finale is the fake out. I thought they were doing in the premiere. And so having that bookend, uh, I thought was really effective. Uh, I liked the structure, like you were saying, uh, I thought, I agree that certain things felt more realistically like a month than others. Um, okay. I know this is not the point. I know I'm being romantic. <laughs> However, I was so hoping that you were going to work this in. Yeah. Lay okay. Down. So as someone who has run multiple marathons, um, I call BS on all of that because the idea that, that nobody knew Tiffany was training for a marathon is entertaining but ridiculous uh because like i don't i don't feel like the people who write this show have done a marathon <laughs> because if they had you would know it takes so your long runs take so much time towards the end of your like the cycle of getting ready for a marathon it's like it's like three hours i mean it's if, if you do a marathon in four hours which is you know not a super fast pace but certainly it's a very respectable pace then you're going to be running for like two to three hours every long run once a week for like weeks leading up to it before you start to taper back down and there's just like it's ridiculous um but it was funny because of how self-involved those characters are that worked but the stuff with lawrence no no like i could see you going like hey guys we're halfway there it's like you're not gonna be that team of people there's no possible way they're doing a marathon together like if they had said they were doing a half marathon together i can absolutely go with it and it was a marathon and a half marathon together but they didn't really specify which one they were doing and it was generally implied they were doing the full marathon because well, they kept panning past the 14 mile mark sign right. which means it yeah. can't be the half and that's yeah. that's absurd also two days after a marathon especially if it's your first marathon i don't care how good of physical shape you're in like lawrence is clearly in very good shape that doesn't you have the endurance and the cardio to do a marathon and so he's not going to be like just walking around like normal two days after his first marathon that's absurd it's like i'm glad i decided to do this over the course of a month that's insane and that's stupid no ridiculous 
absolutely ridiculous. And at the end, when like when the new girlfriend is like jumping up on him, no, you just ran twenty six miles. Twenty six point two. At the very least, like with that group, there's no way they did that in under four hours. Like, there's no way. Like, just the just Lawrence and his girlfriend, yeah, because they're in really good shape. Maybe they were pushing the speed, but that whole team thing. You were just running for 26.2 miles. You're not jumping anywhere. You are falling on the ground. If you have someone with you who's, like, carrying your stuff for you, they're helping you stretch. You're, like, huddling. You're, like, you know, like, bent over, hunched, trying. You're certainly not walking on any stairs or elevated surfaces of any kind. Like, no. Bad show. Like, as I know other people probably didn't have this issue. Maybe Aparna, maybe maybe she's a marathoner, which we don't know anything about her. That could be the case. Yeah. But still, no, that's not, no, 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 no. Now, have you done any running of this variety, Noel? Do you have any connection to the marathoning world? No. Well, I mean, friend of the show, uh, Nick Campbell, and um, a friend of mine uh, down in Tacoma are both runners. Um, and... I want to say Nick's done a marathon, at least one. He's definitely done at least a half. Yeah. And I think my friend Tacoma has done a couple of halves, I think, maybe. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but they, they also run, each of them run, like, seven miles, like, every other day, if not a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so, seven miles just, is not 26.2 miles. Right. No, it's not. But it's just like. <laughs> they're in very good shape, but still, it's like a whole other thing. But if they, but no, I, I understand, like, training for a marathon takes time and effort and energy mm-hmm. and I, I just did not focus on that at all. And no. listeners, while Kate was going on about this, I just propped my propped my chin up in my hand and just reveled in all of that, <laughs> as I hope you did, because it was just delightful. Well, it just like it did just make it be a half, because like anyone, anyone, unless you have like a physical or or like a health condition, anyone can train for and complete a half marathon. I firmly believe that. Right, it's yeah. a reasonable yeah. distance. Twenty six point two is not a reasonable distance. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're like an ultra marathoner or something, but like, I mean, cause I, I've only done a couple, but my mom's an Ironman. She's done Boston several times. She's done like the Ironman like six times. They just had the Madison Ironman like last week. Um, so like I've been around enough runners to know that that was some bullshit. I did, did appreciate the idea of like a new perspective and taking on something new. And that's the kind of thing I can see. I can see Lawrence doing, but just like, come on guys. Come on. Anyways, moving on. I did. <laughs> I did like the stuff we got with, with Molly and with Issa. Uh, I really liked Frida getting the promotion and the, yeah. the drama at work too was fun. Um, but here, uh, I can't talk right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, the other, the only thing I will mention, um, is I'm a little worried about Molly and this idea of backsliding and with her calling up Dro. but the only reason I'm concerned about that is because I thought they actually did a really good job handling that storyline of the open marriage this season. And I'm, and like, and not shaming anyone with it, being Mm -hmm. very respectful of, you know, that decision to be in an open relationship with which plenty of people have that as they're, they're you know that's what works for them and that what's that's what makes them and their partners happy um so i was really impressed when it didn't turn into like a you don't really like me kind of a thing and 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 so i'm just worried about them bringing that back because either it'll be repetitive or it's very likely that maybe they'll get into a more negative shamey kind of approach so i'm hoping that yeah. that i'm wrong on that do you have any thoughts on that 
I, I, I worry about what you just described. Um, in part, and I, I don't want to... Yeah, I, I feel like it's just, it runs a risk of that. And we've seen sort of like um, that sort of happen this season a little bit as the show's sexual politics feel weirdly dated. Like there was a lot of discussion around um, oral sex and... Mm-hmm. Um, that got a significant amount of play within certain writers, like Angelica uh, wrote about it a little bit over at Vulture, and it was a really, really good piece, and got to the heart of why this felt really weirdly dated. Mm -hmm. And I I would worry about that happening again here, too, even if their execution throughout this season, I thought was fairly solid, um, that it runs the risk of, as you said, just going into bad directions. I don't know that there's a the only good direction it can go to is being like very open and clear about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like that there's any potential for drama there that the show desperately needs to have to make that storyline sort of continue to go forward in any way. Yeah. And that, that makes me, that makes me a little, that makes me a little antsy. Yeah. I, I was a little leery about um, the, the stuff with Molly and Quentin, obviously been enjoying Lil Ray uh, Howery, and I'm glad that he got more to do in this episode. Yeah. Uh, I just hope it doesn't turn into a repeat of the Sterling K. Brown idea of like, on paper, this person seems perfect for me, but they don't match this ideal in my head. I just don't want to get repetitive. So hopefully they're going somewhere yeah. else. And given like the, the level of the writing and the, the characterization this season and last season, there's no reason to think that they you know, are going to suddenly lose a handle on their characters. But um, yeah, so I, so that's my only concern with, with that. Uh, let's talk about, um, are there any other elements of this the season that you want to talk about or just, or sorry, of this episode or, or should we talk about the season as a whole a little bit? Yeah, no, let's uh, discuss the season as a whole a little bit. Um, I think for me, one of the things I was really focused on that um, wasn't so much like Issa's going through her hoe phase as they sort of refer to it as, but I kept wanting to like always go back to, uh, we got y'all and Mm. just the politics of that, the program and the school. And I really liked how it ended up being again, capped in the finale, but that was like the storyline I was really sort of responding to the most of everything that was happening this season. Mm. And I, I think that for me was like the standout, um, of everything that they did this season, even, if I sort of enjoyed everything else, that for me ended up being the most interesting thing. And I was sort of surprised by that just because I kept waiting for everything else to sort of step forward a little bit. And apart from some, some of the uh, larger blowups with between Lawrence and Issa um, that we got right at the beginning and then sort of in the middle um, that that idea of them being sort of stuck and trying to figure out ways forward uh, just made for a good season. But it, I, like I said, I needed that finale to sort of clip things into place. Whereas I felt like a lot of the school stuff was always sort of swimming forward in a lot of ways. Um, but what what in particular stood out to you about season two? I really liked watching Issa fumble and grow a little bit. Mm-hmm. And... and watching her be childish and like just assuming she's going to show up at that one guy's house and 
he's not already going to have plans and have someone else over and get upset about that and have like this awesome seeming guy. She goes out with a couple times where she's like, no, I'm not interested in something meaningful. <laughs> Go away. Yeah. Uh, and so it can, that can be very infuriating as, you know, watching someone make those decisions. But I thought it was, uh, I thought it was interesting to watch, her her go through that and to not have the show just kind of happily sweep her off into some romance with daniel or or you know showing the lingering effect of a breakup you know when she and lawrence were together for five years you're not going to get over that immediately and maybe you're going to miss out on something that could have been amazing because you're just not emotionally there and ready for something else um so yeah i i really appreciated the show not trying to solve things immediately uh or or have them be making the best emotional choices like i really enjoy aparna i think they've done a good job of establishing that character um and i enjoyed watching lawrence shoot himself in the foot in that relationship for absolutely no good reason for for a legitimate for a reason that makes sense for him but it's not like there's anything substantiating it um yeah yeah, so so I I enjoyed I guess seeing the journey and the struggle and but what that leads me to is a question and this ties into our next show younger, um, how what do you do on a show when you have it very much centered around relationships and you break up your one of your main couples and there's no reason for both of them to be on the show anymore if you're going to be honest about their lives they would be avoiding each other. They wouldn't be seeing each other, and so they should each have their own show, frankly, but you're right. not going to do that. Like, <laughs> this season we watched them, like, kind of react to, respond to, and eventually, hopefully, move towards healing from their breakup. Next season, he shouldn't be on the show anymore. It's Issa's show. It's all, you know, as a creator, but as the main character... I don't need to follow Lawrence next season. I, I enjoy the actor. I enjoy the characters. I enjoy like his whole world, but I worry about the show fracturing too much. And I think that's something you see in, you saw it in girls, you see it in younger. You see like, we don't, what, at what point do you not follow every character just because you really like the actor? Or you really like that character. And I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? What should they do next, next year? How are they going to keep Lawrence around? Assuming well, they're going to. A, Lawrence is going to be around because he Facebook friend requested her and she smiled. So Lawrence will be around. Yeah, um, but, but does that make sense? Does it? Well, I mean, you know how I feel about Josh still being on Younger. Exactly. And I've only watched Younger for a season. Yeah. And, um, but no, I, I, I don't think it makes a great deal of sense, at least for like, to have him, to, for us to visit him. It doesn't yeah. make sense. I think Lawrence sort of showing up every now and then makes sense. Yeah. And like ha- having gone through like a breakup, not like as intense as this one, but like still ending up as friends with that woman, it still like took a fair bit of time for that to sort of like be okay. Mm-hmm. And so and I'd, I was as much as there are like, sort of apology slash acceptance slash goodbye in their apartment is and it's a really well done scene Mm. um in this finale but it's just they can't like immediately start hanging out again 
And so, no, I, I, I very much agree insofar as, like, we really sh can't be following Lawrence. And I don't know that I want to follow Lawrence either. Like, mm -hmm. again, his, his tech firm startup thing is fine, but I'm also just like, I don't know that I need that really on this show. And mm -hmm. when you have other fairly solid avenues of exploration that can fill that time. And that, I think, is what they should probably focus on. Yeah, and I'm also not interested in Daniel at all at this mm -hmm. point and, and what that dynamic is. And so her showing up at Daniel's door at the end of the season um, I thought was interesting, but that that means we're continuing that baggage into the whole next season. And, like, really? Really? Just have her stay with her brother, and we don't see her at, at her home too much. brother has a lot of rules, though. I mean, those were a lot of rules. I understand, <laughs> but I feel like, I don't know, I, I guess the show wants us to think that Issa and Daniel haven't run their course. Yeah. But I don't think they've done the work for that. I, I don't know that I agree with that they've run their course. I feel like that there's still material to be mined there, mm -hmm. but... I, I think that there's only so much. Yeah. And it very much sort of feels like a weird react, not a weird reaction, but a sort of comfort, a desire for comfort and a desire not to be alone sort of thing from Issa. But it's also, I think, really important to keep in mind, like what she tells Molly, um, where she's just like, I love you too much to stay with you. Mm -hmm. um, and I appreciate that offer, but I, uh, we, the implication it would, be bad. <laughs> it would be bad. And I think that that's also made apart from just um, her brother just being delightfully horrible. I really like him. Mm -hmm. um, but just the fact that there's a safety in going back to him because she feels sort of like she can just cut this if she needs to at any point. Yeah. But the degree to which that's true, I think, is a larger question that they can probably explore next season. And that, to me, is a little bit of an interesting question. Okay. Yeah, that's one of those things where it's like, I, I understand why she does it, and I think it's in character. For her to do it, I just think it's not interesting for a show. Yeah, yeah I, I, can, I can understand that, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, again, they've done a terrific job, the team over at Insecure, Issa Rae, and the rest of, I mean, Larry Wilmore and, and uh, is the producers, but the, the writers and everybody have done a terrific job this season. It's been really consistent. It's had terrific uh, performances and writing and direction and even, like, the editing and the visuals, like, the the like the like shots of, of Inglewood and, like, the, the hints at it getting, like, uh, gentrified over the course of the season you know i thought all of that was handled really well um i was so upset when when isa and frida were fighting and i love the way that they got them like back on the, the same team um <laughs> adorable um so so yeah i, I really enjoyed the season and i one of the stronger like because this is a sophomore year it got better in its second year yeah, yeah. and that doesn't happen a lot so kudos yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. And mostly the only other thing I'll say is that I felt really giddy when they name dropped 82 and I just went, I've been there. I know that <laughs> L.A. place. Even though I've only been to L.A. twice, I know that place. It's a very cool barcade. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, Congratulations. Yeah, yeah no, it's it's nothing to be proud of, Nolan. It's nothing to be proud of. <laughs> oh, look at that transition. Younger had its season finale. And Younger, what are you doing? 
what what like a whole season finale and i like they think we care way more about josh and liza than we do Uh, uh, tell that to my friend caitlin who uh is over a tv guide and is basically just like i'm basically just watching i realized i just i'm just watching the show for josh now and she she didn't like the she didn't like the finale either but she's just like i care way more about josh than i do about charles and everything else yeah so it's just like but no this is a really it it was not good it was bad it was bad and i I, while i was watching it i was actually talking to caitlin a little bit about it and but i really want to know especially since you've been watching this very consistently Mm -hmm. like how bad was this really like i mean for me it was just like a really bad way to end this season Mm -hmm. but like as a part of the show's overall like narrative like how did how did how how does this work and why did they think that this was something that they should do and why are we putting maggie in bogs and also i don't really feel like that painting was subtle even to someone who clearly does not understand it (laughs) yeah no okay so this was a bad finale for many reasons first of all uh because we don't care about josh and claire uh, right. because we super don't care about her family and them getting married in Ireland because there are very little, if any, stakes to the episode because Liza and Josh aren't going to get back together, certainly at this point of the narrative, because they have but to do the whole... But he loves her Ugh. so much. He can't get over her, so he has I to roll. marry someone else. Well, but, but they're not going to get them together when they still haven't really done the Charles stuff. Because they, because they need to explore the Liza Charles dynamic more and ha- actually get them into some form of a relationship. If they're going to re if 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 Josh is endgame, first they have to really do Charles, and so you know that there's n- like there's not going to be any significant development with Josh and Liza in this. So there's no tension, <laughs> and it's also out of character. Asking her to lie to Homeland Security is absurd. Six months versus one month is not that different. Yes, I know it's like a tick a different box, but like, come on, that's ridiculous. And the way that they build it up in the episode, I thought worked. And then they have like this grand sweeping gesture. Like if she said, "But, but I'm not lying to Homeland Security for you guys." Like, yeah. At the end, like later on, it's like I helped you on the bar, but like I, no, I'm not gonna, you know, perjure myself. Wait. What I did was bad. It's not lying to the federal government bad. Well, yeah, and and like and this notion of Claire as a potential villain who's absolutely willing to extort the information she has about Liza's age to get this from her. Like, okay, that's interesting, but then they don't really go fully to that. Maybe that'll happen next season. Who knows? But like, ab- like Maggie's just there. Like, why did Liza wake her up at five in the morning and then go to work? Yeah. At her regular job. Like, that's that's absurd as well. And then there's all this stuff with Pauline and the book, which, okay, whatever, but it's not that interesting. No. And they've added Zane in for all this extra manufactured Whoa, drama. It's just the worst. It's really obnoxious and, and not not doesn't work that well doesn't like the dynamic doesn't work that well it's just too it's too straight on he should be slicker than that and they love how slick they think they're making him which 
It's very try hard. Um, yeah. He should be much more subtle. And then the cliffhanger is he calls her cell phone. What? That's not a cliffhanger. That's a, oh, got my phone back. Oh, hey, Charles, I'm sorry that I missed your call. Yeah. I, I was at a wedding with Josh, which you were aware of. Yeah. Because I, well, you were and they, informed. Well, they, 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 the way that they have it go, like she's chasing Josh around Ireland. Ireland, is what he right. thinks. Yeah. Like, they could have done a lot more with that. Yeah. But if they wanted to, they could have had the decision of something hinge on he wanted to talk to her first but but then he couldn't and then we cut back to him and then he makes some other decision about Pauline right. like that's how you build that cliffhanger this was just bad and when you compare it to the previous seasons last season's cliffhanger was uh was Liza and Charles kissing in the Hamptons and Josh is gonna propose like she comes back and Mary me's on the bed in rose petals like that's a cliffhanger this no bad show bad and they did so much better at the beginning of the season too it's not like it, the beginning of the season was so much stronger than the end of the season it's kind of ridiculous yeah it is they aggressively ran out of gas and yeah. in a really weird way because i i feel like um they really just sort of stopped working yeah um after they introduced charles's wife into the fold and Claire, which happened Claire. at the same time. Right. And they were just kind of went, ah, we're going to, we're just going to, uh, we're just going to coast for a little while. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to season five and we'll figure it out. And it just went, that is not how you structure a season. Because even if you handle some of your conflict resolution stuff a little too quickly, mm-hmm. you do need to do that. You can't have Liza and Kelsey like be at odds for like, the entire season mm-hmm. um but you, you so you saw that and all of that was actually really good and really interesting and everything that was like starting to heat up with charles and liza was really good as anyone who's been listening to us for like the past 12 weeks can attest yeah it's just like noel's been like why aren't they having sex on that table already <laughs> um like multiple times yeah and but then they're just like, well, we've got two fun new complications, so we're just gonna we're just gonna let it ride or die on this, and yeah. it turned out to be die. Yeah. So, I guess my question for you is: is like, are you back for season five, or like, do you need like some time away from it to like evaluate where you're going to be? And if you do come back, how much of a leash are you giving them? Well, I mean, I will keep watching it. Okay. I've watched four seasons, and I apparently yeah. I don't understand the, the idea of sunk costs, so I'm going to keep <laughs> watching. But, like, it, it's I want the writers to go away and think about what they did. <laughs> because the, I mean, even just look, look last week to this week. Last mm-hmm. week ends with the dramatic realization from Liza that she truly, deeply, desperately loves Charles. To the point where she's sobbing about it on the street. Yeah. And even Jay can tell, like, yeah. what's going on. And then nothing, nothing with that. No, like, that that happens, and then she goes home and does some soul-searching. And then she tries to reach out to Charles. And just as she's about to reach out to Charles, she gets interrupted by Josh. And, like, like there's a way that you can do this and have several of the same beats you know, are trying to, like, this idea that she needs to tell Charles how she feels before things get further with Pauline and that 
there's some semblance of a ticking clock on that. Like, there's so many different ways you could have executed these same ideas much better. And at the beginning of the season, I would have assumed the writers knew that and would reliably deliver on that. But then here, I mean, like, I just don't even know what's going on. Yeah, and uh, I, I was I was just flummoxed from like a seasonal standpoint, but I was really curious about how you were feeling about it from like a show standpoint. Yeah. So this was just it was just deeply disappointing and just like bad in a way that I was not really anticipating. Yeah. It being considering yeah. a like we had discussed like the first half of the season, but also just my general sense of the show from people who like you and also mm-hmm. like people like secondhand that I know all really love this show. And I just kind of went, but this finale is really bad. It's like super bad. Yeah. And I just kind of went, I, I wanted to know how other people felt. And so I was, I was, I was super interested in hearing how you, how you reacted. Yeah. No, yeah. It, was, it was not good. It was a waste of an episode. Like, yeah. And I kept actually, I thought that this was going to be like an hour uh-huh. because they went to Ireland. Yeah. And I was just like, you should use that. And then I just was just like, oh, it's 22 minutes, but you went to Ireland. Yep. But I don't understand what's happening right now. <laughs> but apparently we need to watch Claire walk all the way down the aisle. Like, yeah. Come on. And like, why are we seeing that? And we're not actually getting to see Maggie seduce Claire's mom. Right. Which we would have been much infinitely rather more see interesting. That. Yeah. No comparison. Okay. We've talked too much about this. Uh, I've said I will be back. I was curious whether or not you would be back after this. I feel like you, it's much easier for you to cut ties. Yeah, it's a lot easier for me to cut ties. I'll probably watch the premiere, uh-huh. um, and then I'll just kind of bail, yeah. um, depending on how that premiere goes. But yeah, it's super easy for me just to go, yeah, this was a fun little experiment. Sutton Foster is still amazing, but I already knew that. And I can just watch <laughs> Buntheads. Yeah. <laughs> they need to, like, and they're just doubling down on having these intense storylines for all of their characters and forgetting that they have a small number of core characters and then they have satellite characters for them. Josh is a satellite character. Having him be roommates with Kelsey was a great reason for him to still be around. They didn't need to then give him his own because like then when they're out at the bar, it makes sense that he's there because he's now good friends with Kelsey. Great. So now you can keep the actor on there. You can draw on his relationship with Liza for various things, various beats, you know, throw them together in situations and have different perspectives on their lives. Great. But like the fact that we got Pauline and we got Claire and we didn't get any Maggie show. What are you doing? Okay. I need more Maggie in my life. Yeah. We all, we all need more Maggie. We all need more Debbie Mazar. Mazar. Um, in our lives. What won your week in comedy, Noel? Uh, Broad City premiere, Sliding Doors, just a delightful amount of fun. And I'm I'm super interested to see how they keep working in Trump without saying his name. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what about you? What won your week? I bet it was younger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did also really like um, uh, Survivor's Remorse this week. There was some fun stuff on, on People of Earth, but it's not really contending. Uh, of course, I watched all of One Mississippi this week. Yeah. Um, but I still think I, uh, I don't know. I, Is it Insecure or Rick and Morty? I feel like it's between either I, of those, but I will allow you to choose the end of You're the Worst. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, I think I'm going to give it to Rick and Morty this week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think, 
because because one Mississippi kind of all blurs into one for me. Sure. So if it, I have a harder time picking an uh, episode or an episode, so I'll get freaking. I mean, I picked the entire show last week, and that was yes. perfectly okay. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, then it's tied. One okay. Mississippi season two. <laughs> along with Rick and Morty. Okay, now we'll take a break, little, uh, listen to a little bit more music, and come back with our weekend genre and drama. This week in the genre and drama, we're going to talk a bit about the Orville premiere on Fox Old Wounds. Then I'll talk Outlander and The Battle Joined. That's the season three premiere. Uh, we'll both talk a little top of the lake China doll. Oh, sorry. China Girl. Um, chapters one and two is what I watched. How much did you watch, Noel? I watched the whole thing and I regret every hour of it. Okay. <laughs> and then we'll talk about The Deuce, which had its premiere, uh, its pilot, uh, Room 104, The Missionaries, and I'll talk about Voyeurs from last week. And we'll round things out with Halt and Catch Fire, Tanya and Nancy. So first up is The Orville. And this is Seth MacFarlane's sort of comedic, sort of earnest TNG, like, analog for yeah. the, the current television landscape. And... Okay, here's the thing, Noel. I can see how this could work and how this could yes. be a good idea. I like yes. most of the cast. I think most of the cast is really good. Um, but mostly this show just made me go, I can't wait to see Paul Shear's Galaxy Quest adaptation that he is writing right now because that will be much better the show doesn't know its tone it i like there's a reverence for classic trek and for tng that as someone who grew up on tng i can certainly appreciate but which does not translate to a good show you like picked some of the wrong things to focus on and you need look no further than that it's absurdly long uh docking like undocking scene where we're just like seeing all it's like okay back when original trek was on and back also when TNG started, ooh, there's starships and spaceships on my television. That's amazing. Now, no, not impressive. Not a big deal. You're slowing down all of your pacing for this, and that's a bad idea. So there's just so many problems like that for me with the Orville that while I can see a niche, like a, like a slot that this could fill in the current television landscape, I'm not confident that McFarlane has the right perspective to be able to get the Orville where it would need to be to be a good show. Because I think it could be a good show, but I'm not confident that McFarlane will be able to get it to that point. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, there were sections of it where I was just like, this is funny-ish. Mm-hmm. And I just went, you just needed like three more drafts on this and it would have been really good. Mm-hmm. And But we got this like first draft and a half. Um, 
that I just sort of went, this is okay, but it's mostly just weirdly disappointing and lip. Yeah. And that was what was really surprising. And there was, to your point, like about pacing is that there's very little energy except in like a couple of scenes where everything else is just like really plotting in a way that reminds me of TNG sometimes, but TNG's tone fit that. And this can't decide if it wants to be that sort of zippy comedy or this, again, this sort of rehash of TOS or TNG. And especially, again, like you've been saying, it's very TNG-inspired, even to, like, the whole thing of, like, we we made this thing, <laughs> but we can't let anyone have it. And um, just what does it do? And all that kind of stuff. And yeah. it's good. It's interesting. And I like all, like, the things that they come up with to do that. Like, we're going to age the seed into a redwood. And, I, like, the plot machinations of getting to that are really good, but it just is, like, kind of ridiculous in the sense that it's not funny when it happens. Mm -hmm. It's like, it should be funny that the big alien spaceship gets beaten up by a tree, basically, and instead I'm just like, oh, okay. That's the wrong reaction to have by that point in the episode because there's no momentum to get there. There's just understanding of, like, plot, and, yeah, so it's just, everyone sort of feels like they're on, like, three different shows is the other thing. It's like, McFarlane feels like he's on book two of them, but doesn't keep switching back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's it's just, it's a weird show, and it's also just aggressively, like, I don't like how he gets his, how he gets that ship, Yeah, Kate? No, I don't like bad. that he... I don't, like, A, like, initially, we're just like, oh, yeah, we didn't really want to give you this shit because you've been kind of sucky for the past year, but we need people. And I just went, I feel like in a whole thing of Federation of Planets, you can find someone else yeah. to do this. You don't need him who's been sucking for a year. And then we do it, well, because we really believe in you, ex-wife, who is apparently really thirsty to do him all these favors for some reason that extend beyond guilt, I think, mm-hmm. have to. Because otherwise, you made a really good case for not wanting to be with him anymore, but you don't necessarily need to give him a captain's job to make it up to him. Yeah. <laughs> if this is going to be a show about coddling and celebrating mediocre and irresponsible white dudes, it needs to be a half an hour. Yeah, and yeah. And yeah. if it's not, like, if, if we're going to be making jokes about drunk driving, it needs to be a half hour. Yeah. Um, if we're going to have a show that is more earnest and uh, has underdog heroes, then they need to earn that. It yeah. needs to feel like, you know, our captain here is worthy of the job and not, yeah. you know, oh, his, you know, his, his ex-wife is coddling his feelings oh but don't tell him let little timmy think he earned this you know like like it's it's horrible we don't need (laughs) we don't need more mediocre white dudes in getting positions of authority they do not have any right to like this idea that there are so few people that that could possibly do this job like come on i feel like the robot could do this job yeah and (laughs) yeah 
or literally anyone else on that bridge yeah. could probably handle this job, including um, the ex-wife, I feel like, yeah. should probably be doing this job, and I yeah. don't know why she's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, The I'm, I'm very glad Adrian Palicki is getting paid. Because I think she's sure. a terrific actor and not enough on my TV. Not on my TV yeah. enough, I should say. Um, but it's also a little disappointing that this is the only thing she's getting cast in. Um, she's nine years younger than Seth MacFarlane, but we're not talking about that in regards to their relationship, which is odd. Uh, maybe it'll come up. Maybe you know, Who knows? Maybe it'll it come won't. Up. Probably not. Um, but, uh, yeah, and like just even just out-of-date stuff like, okay, so there's a single-gender species. But like alien, alien race, and race, yeah. but they're all he's. Why are they mm-hmm. he? If there's only one yeah. gen, why would they have a specific a, a, a prone like a masculine pronoun? Yeah. And why would they be talking about who's the dude? Like like it's 2017, and that's for the writers because for the characters we're in the distant future, and right. this is just feels very. It's it's holding on again. It's holding on to the wrong elements of TNG, as far as I'm concerned. And like, there's some, again, like I said, there's some something. It could become something here. There are these little like <laughs> seeds um, in the show, but I just I don't have confidence that it will become what it what it could. Also, to be pedantic, as we you know, I love to be. Um, no, if if, ex- you... <laughs> if exploding um, a spaceship isn't enough to to stop that seed from becoming a giant massive tree how is chewing and swallowing it enough to stop that tree from becoming let's see from becoming a giant tree you shouldn't be able to eat it i was really worried about that a tree like was going to burst out of them at some point yeah um but apparently maybe our gastric juices just do a really good job breaking that down i don't know yeah but i have it's a good thing there's no saliva anywhere on that ship I guess. Yeah. Anyways, we're mm-hmm. talking too long about the Orville. I'm not checking back in. Are you going to keep up with this one? Uh, maybe if I'm bored, I'll circle back, but I'll probably do like a spot check and like let some episodes build up and then go, all right, which of these sounds interesting-ish? Mm-hmm. And then I'll circle back. But I'm probably, I'm not going to go back like immediately next week. Okay. Or this week, rather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, next up is Outlander, which had season yeah. three premiere. We got the first like the first chunk of the episode is the Battle of Culloden, which they've been building to for two seasons. Um, we see how Jamie survives the battle, um, and uh, and and which I think we needed to see, uh, but it kind of s- slows the episode because the you can't really move on with the story until we're through that. So we're through the battle, we're through the aftermath, and you know, like it all kind of works itself out. But I will say that I the rest of it, like all the stuff with Claire and Frank in the the their present i should say uh i thought it worked well it i'm the simplification of claire's emotional journey is a little disheartening to me in the first season she loved frank and she loved jamie and she was really confused by that and it was really challenging to her uh it seems like the show and apparently the books this is like a, a uh, accurate to the, the narrative in the books I hear is that she realizes that she just loves Jamie and she doesn't really love Frank. And that's so limiting. Like it's something we talk about all the times. Like, so what I'm hearing thruple <laughs> resolve this, this stupid love triangle by just having them all be okay with not having to be like exclusive to this one person. Like, 
this idea of that 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 could possibly be a thing that someone was experiencing like that she could genuinely love both of them um mm-hmm. it's just so such a crazy concept that apparently in season three we can't do that because we want to have tension of well but she really loves jamie um so i don't know i think i thought that was a little disappointing but if they're gonna do that i thought they are executing it well um the i was a little disappointed that so far i wasn't hearing significant interesting things happening in the score um prompted by the new location of boston um which is something that they they very actively did last year when they went to france um and the scoring has has been yeah it's been much more prevalent in the jamie time period so maybe that's why but We'll see. I, of course, that's something I'm always listening for, especially on this show. Um, the performances are really good. The The contrivances to have Jamie survive, fine. They're fine. They work well enough. And, um, yeah, little baby Brianna. I just hope they don't keep going back to the, oh, where does her red hair come from? Meaningful glances. Like, like we need the character. I need the characters to kind of get over that part of it and move on because there's so many interesting stories they can tell with Claire and with Frank if they want to. But if it all just comes back to this central guilt and resentment over Jamie, it's going to get old. So uh, a strong premiere, uh, not their best or most exciting premiere, just because it had a lot of work to do. But I'm glad it's back, and I look forward to seeing how they get to where we ended last season, which was 20 years in the future. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was in the, it was in like the sixties, and Claire okay. this super stylish do with like a gray streak. Okay, and everything. that that explains like the teasers and promos I'm seeing because I was just like, when did they jump ahead that far? Yeah, so look for the daughter okay. to be grown. That's why. So that way, yeah. when they go back in time again, all the daughter can come with. Spoiler alert. Oh, okay. Anyways, okay. Um, that was Outlander. Let's talk. Ugh, let's talk top of the lake, China girl. Yeah. So, are you gonna finish this? Because I no. told you. Okay, good. Because, like, I, I, I felt bad, like, um, everyone. I texted Kate after, like, episode four, I think. And I was just like, am I a bad person for telling you not to watch this? <laughs> um, and she, Kate never replied. Um, no, you're not a bad which, person. <laughs> to which I felt judged um, <laughs> that I was indeed a bad person. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's not good. And I don't really understand, like... I've seen like some positive reviews for it and I immediately went, are you sure you just didn't watch season one again? Cause I feel like you just watched season one again because you didn't watch this season that I just watched mm-hmm. over the course of three days. Cause no, you didn't. So tell us a little bit about like your response to the first two episodes, I guess, and why that was enough to stop. And I'll tell you, why I kept going, hint, it's because I'm a masochist. And um, then I'll kind of like just discuss like the rest of the season and let you know what happens and why you made a good decision. Well, okay. So first of all, the main reason I did not watch more was because I did, was not going to watch any more hours of television that had um, Puss or Alexander in it. Because I hate him so much, and not in a good way, not in a Black Jack Randall who I viscerally hated as an Outlander as well. Like that's how you do a horrible villain. And this, this, this is Top of the Lake's version, or at least the season's version of a horrible villain. Um, and he's not interesting at all. The show thinks he is, but he's not. And it's to like. You t- we talked about this a little bit. You were talking about how, like, this made you doubt 
your strong and positive reaction to season one. And that's sort of the, it's like, wait, okay. But I feel like season one was so focused on Tui, whose name I still remember listeners. That was the victim and the survivor of assault, uh, the pregnant, like 12 year old who, who was missing in, um, the first season that, that, you know, centers around this case that, that Robin, who's the Elizabeth Moss character is, is trying to, to crack open. Um, it so strongly cared about her and Robin and what was happening. Um, it was, everything is filled with this empathy and this discussion of how, like what led to these different things happening and, and this deconstruction of their, of our society, but of their community and all the different ways that misogyny and oppression had seeped into positions of authority and power and into the dynamics between the characters such that they weren't trying to overthrow that in a significant way. And then they're contrasting that with the, the commune and how that, you know, responded to that. Uh, and then this season, they open with sex workers who are, who it seems very strongly are being exploited. Like, cause the, like, uh, prostitution is legal. So, uh, this could be a a choice on their part, a with made with complete autonomy and treated with respect. That is not the case for this show. Um, and dealing with dumping a body is how we start. So we're immediately following the perpetrators, not the survivors. Not you know, our, our we're following all of this these disparate threads and not really sticking through to the core of. Who is Robin in for season one? Who is Tui, and why does it matter? In these first two episodes, I got no sense of anything about Cinnamon, who I think we're supposed to believe is the woman in the suitcase, and no sense of why I should care, why the show wants me to care, other than it's bad that somebody got killed or is dead. You know, um, so that's a big thing. Also, <laughs> they throw away the most morally complicated and challenging aspect of season one in a line of dialogue here in the second episode. Did you catch that, Noel? Uh, go ahead and tell tell me which one it was, because, like, it's all blurred together for me. So oh, what what was this? The, the squick factor with Robin and Johnny and, and this person that she loved, Johnny, right? Remember what oh, that Jono. was? Oh, Johnny. Johnny, yes. Remember what that was? Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. They undid that with a line of dialogue about Johnny's parentage and how he wasn't family. Right, yeah, and, like, yeah. So wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! You're gonna take the the one of the most interesting and like challenging, I think, is appropriate. Yeah. Dynamics of the first season, and be like, ah, oh, pretend we didn't do that. Let's just like that might be yicky. So let's not think about that. Like, and Jono's character is even like a recast, but is also like rewritten in totally a lot of ways. Rewritten, yeah, yeah. They just like they they're like, well, we need a reason for it to not be there, not be in yes. New Zealand. So let's just character assassinate. Jono and and not that he wasn't a you know nuanced and potentially difficult partner kind of like character in season one but so they they jettison all of that they add these uh, this other really unfortunately handled baggage with with um with Robin and and Mary I'm not compelled at all by Mary and it's just like everything that the first season gets right the second season gets wrong with the few exceptions of some of the visuals of like the, like Robin on the rocks overlooking the, the water gorge. There's some really gorgeous landscape shots and, and, and visuals 
in here, but nowhere near enough to make up for all the things that they get completely wrong. It, it's like, I'm having trouble wrapping my brain around the fact that these are both Jane Campion. Yeah, uh, so here's the thing, is that all of what you've described carries throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised. That's why I was like, should I watch this or should I watch, you know, The Deuce? And like, mm, I don't really want to watch either, but yeah. I'm not I'm not watching more of Alexander, so. To be fair, I, I suggest you just take a nap. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, so, no, all of this carries through. And your point about, like, how season one explores misogyny and sexism and how that is challenged and is seeped into things. Here, it just all gets reduced into things that are happening and we're just going to kind of live with them mm -hmm. is basically what happens. So, like, uh, the homicide detective keeps asking her out, suggesting that they'd be really good in bed, but you don't really want anything emotional. He does this, like, multiple times throughout the season. Mm -hmm. uh, the morgue attendant is supportive but obsessed with her sex life. Mm -hmm. Um then there's just all the random stuff like the the, just... the bloggers dudes that like right. why why right well here's why and i'll here's why this leads into the discussion re cinnamon who mm -hmm. is the woman in the case yeah. and despite being the woman in the title is given no sense of existence mm -hmm. the only time cinnamon actually is allowed to appear and speak is when she's imagined naked by the guy who's getting the girlfriend experience, which is why they're there. It's yeah. like in the back half of the episodes, it's like he becomes a little unhinged when he realizes that she's dead and is imagining her around him, nude, of occasionally course. talking, thanking him, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But that's all we get at Cinnamon. We know nothing about mm -hmm. her whatsoever. Nothing. Yeah. And it's just deeply frustrating because what it becomes is like, this is just a very run-of-the-mill, unfocused European cop procedural. That's all this becomes. Yeah. And it's, it's hollow because, like, even Alexander is just a ridiculous villain. Like, mm -hmm. he's comic booky in a lot of ways. And his his ability to hold Mary in thrall is just ridiculous. And yeah. Like, uh, I was talking with a, a friend of mine about it a little bit, and she was just like, I don't understand wh what's happening with this. And I'm just like, he keeps rolling natural 20s on all his charismatic cult leader skill checks for some reason, and I don't know why. <laughs> well, because it doesn't translate to the audience right. at all. Like, right. like watching, okay, watching Sinners, you can see how young Jessica Biel... Yeah. is drawn in by JD, who's also a mm -hmm. con man and a user and clearly terrible. Yeah. Um, but at least there's charisma there. He's hot enough in the right kind of skeezy way that would have been attractive to her at that, right. that character at that time. Yeah. Like, none of that is there with but, Alexander. But Kate, he's read books and not only read them, but oh. like memorized pages of them. And I think like the only like weird justification I can give for it is that he challenges society in a way that her spineless cuckold father cannot and will not in her eyes, even mm -hmm. though he is like the only semi-decent male in this entire show. Yeah. But he's also not because he ends up sleeping with Robin. Mm -hmm. And um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is just 
creates all sorts of other fun things to sort yeah. through. Neither here nor there. But yeah, it's just, it's not as in-depth or thoughtful or as interesting as its predecessor is. And they kind of make an attempt to make you think that Alexander is sort of right, which is unwarranted in this case, because one of the things that's been happening in Silk 41, which is the brothel mm -hmm. that Alexander runs, is that they're also using the women for surrogacy, illegal surrogacy. Yeah. Which gets, like, sussed out over the course of the season. And it's very much illegal in Australia. So at the end, at the end, Kate, I, mm -hmm. I will just go ahead and tell you, because you're not going to watch this, is that... Spoiler alert, listeners. Yeah, spoiler alert for the listeners if you've been, like, parsing this out. Um, yeah. Because Sundance was airing, like, two, two a day for over the past three days. Is that he has filmed a video. And all the rich... Sydneyite, Sydney folks who have like been paying for these illegal surrogacies, mm -hmm. like stumble into like this room where the illegal surrogates have been held, and he's got a video and he's just like, "Well, y you've been enslaving these women for your own needs, and I've taken them away from you and your babies. <laughs> Aren't I the one challenging you now? Aren't?" Aren't you the hypocrites? And I'm the one saving these women from you. I'm what taking them about mediocre white dudes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he's doing this while he's got sunglasses on. His hair is pulled back. He shot this in sort of like a student film thing. So he's got like some of the women, like happily but sadly, handing over babies in exchange for money to expose the hypocrisy of rich upper white class people, which he's been railing against across the season yeah and it's just like oh my god he's right in that these people are also horrible but he's terrible himself so i don't really care that he's right yeah and it's not one of those everyone's right because everyone's wrong sort of scenarios it's just everyone's equally terrible and the show is equally terrible why am i spending so, my time on this why am i spending my time with any of this because nothing really came out of this for me yeah um your points about like um like you uh you really you mentioned that you really enjoyed uh miranda's uh space helmet yeah and it's just delightful like it's the best thing in the thing it's just like this is an ad this is the correct use of gwendolyn christine in yeah. anything this is great yeah. and then like her relationship with robin deteriorates for reasons that are shrouded in mystery and it turns out that she's been having a surrogacy with the police captain with one of the Silk 41 people, because one of the things about this show is that even if you're a particularly desperate thread, you have to tie into this, mm -hmm. which goes to like Mary's whole thing. It doesn't make any sense yeah. that Mary is with the guy who is the core of Robin's case, but we need to, because we don't really want anything not to be connected in any way this season. And so, but even like Miranda ends up like, faking being physically pregnant herself mm -hmm. it's just really weird and bizarre and it's not none of it's good none of it's good yeah and it, it was massively disappointing and i and i just yeah it wasn't good and i'm gonna stop talking now but yeah. it's not good so if you're like sort of in the process of watching it just stop mm -hmm. um if you were considering watching don't don't and just 
go and watch something else. Yeah, I was kind of like, maybe I should go watch Big Little Lies, because I didn't care about that one when it happened either, but I was like, ooh, Nicole Kidman in this, yeah, it's fun to see her, um, it's fun to see her with an Australian accent, too, but I was like, mm, I think I just need to go watch her in something else. And she's like, the thing with watching her in this is I just went, why aren't you the villain? Because what you're doing is really interesting. What your performance is really interesting. You're mm -hmm. chewing on some scenery here that I kind of respond to in a way that the guy playing Alexander is just playing all this straight and yeah. the show's taking him too seriously. Yeah. But you, I feel like I'm not supposed to take you seriously. You're like this broad caricature of a bourgeoisie woman dabbling and exploring her sexuality is mm -hmm. what I'm kind of taking away from this. And... But I feel like Kidman, with modifications, could be a really good villain in a Top of the Lake-esque story. Yeah. And I just went, I want to see that. <laughs> and the, the rest of the show was then doubly ruined. The other thing <laughs> I will say is I was also really, really frustrated that the second season tries to unravel part of the first season. Um, yeah. And with this, the, the case with the Wenham character, because that was so so well done and painful and effective in the first season so then to try to yes maybe that it was a tragedy that would happen in our, our real life but when the whole rest of the season is such a downer to take away the only semblance of a win she has from the first season and to call that entirely like no screw you show <laughs> and he ends up like beating her up a little bit oh is he showing back of up in a wheelchair, he stands up, beats beats her up a little bit. He she manages to like fight him off after setting a curtain on fire. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's ridiculous and yeah. it's it's not good. Um, so yeah, no, you you made a good choice to stop. I did not make a good choice. I yeah. made a bad choice. <laughs> Fair um, enough. But now we can warn others away. Right, and and on that now we thread, talk about the Deuce, I guess. Let's talk about the Deuce premiere. Um, so this is the David Simon show about the development of the porn scene and the legalization of porn in New York, um, in the seventies, right? Yes, and yes, 70s. this is the this is the pilot. It stars James Franco as twins, which is certainly above the way the, the execution of that is much higher than Kalinda and, and Alicia on The Good Wife, but nowhere near as seamless as Orphan Black. Um, so at least it's on the right side of The Good Wife on that. Um, yes. But, and there's there's uh, sex workers that we follow as well and just a series of other characters in this neighborhood. Now, after uh, The Wire and Treme, which I love, um, David Simon could do pretty much anything and I would be interested in it. Right. Except for this. Because I was yeah. not interested in this at all from the moment it was announced. I'm like, you could do anything and this is what fascinates you? This is what... Oh, okay. So I checked it out, but it's just, again, I don't care about really any of the characters. I like some of the performers and they're very... Like, I mean, Maggie Gyllenhaal is just like, you just want to watch her do anything. Yes. But it's just like... There's there's not enough there there. There's way too much time spent with characters with who will become connected later, but I'm not interested in them enough in this first episode to wait around for them. Like by the end of the double long pilot, I was starting to be interested in the sex worker who was watching the movie with the old guy. Um, and so like there's like one or two characters that I'm a little invested in, but not nearly enough to sit through 
a 90 minute first episode and theoretically like at least 60 minutes every week moving forward so i'm checked out of the deuce yeah um i was super bored by this mm-hmm. um it i mean when the wire was on we talked uh well we not we but like when the wire was on and then like later in like evaluations after it was finished there was a lot of talk about like the novelistic approach the dickensian approach of Mm -hmm. david simon and that's sort of like aggressively on full display here Mm -hmm. and in ways that do not translate well to television it's Mm -hmm. it's very much like chapters one through three of a good book at some point, but it's also, but as a 90 minutes of exposition and here's all our characters and here's all their situations and here's how they sort of meet up a little bit. It's like, why are we doing this? And it's so, it feels like too much of a really slow burn that I'm, doesn't compel me to keep going and like random shit. Like, well, I don't understand why James Franco's, the good, the twin that we're following for the most of this episode, why he ends up like having to be on the hook for his brother's gambling debts beyond because things and crime. I don't know. <laughs> and it was deeply confusing. And other, some of the time I was also just like, I don't know which twin I'm watching right now. And I kept not knowing. <laughs> What's well, the one who's got the wound is the right. good one. Right. And then, yeah. But yeah, it was, it's just, there's, um, I think of, okay, because I think of The Wire, and a lot of people, after hearing all the buzz about The Wire, go and watch the first few episodes, and they're like, they're nonplussed. They're like, wait, I thought this is yeah. like one of the greatest shows ever. And it takes a while to get into it. But in that very first episode, you are entertained and right. interested in at least McNulty and Bunk. Probably right. most of the characters, or at least you're, you enjoy your time with them. And yes. in Treme, in the first episode... You care about, like, at least half, if not most of the characters. You get these little snippets with them, but, like, you're super, inv- at least I'm super invested in Big Chief Lambro, in, uh, <laughs> in Clark uh, Peter's, uh, uh, trombone, like, it, it, sorry, Wendell Pierce's trombonist, uh, Clark Peter's is Big Chief Lambro. Um, but, like, in, in Kim Dickens as the chef, like, they're these, there's all these, these characters over the spread out of this whole geography of, of, Treme, but you still yeah. are interested in them. You're you're grabbed by them immediately, and in this doesn't happen here. Like no. like you were saying, in like a lot of instances, basically it boils down to the fact that Maggie Gyllenhaal is really really good, mm-hmm. and like is and Franco was solid. He was good. Yeah, Franco's fine. Like yeah. he, he, it's not as something that asks him to do much though like Mm -hmm. let's be really clear like he's not having to stretch anything that you haven't really seen him do or would not think him capable of yeah but gyllenhaal is has like fun occasionally which is really nice to see like her her whole thing of like about to perform a little sex and then looking up and going local bank and it's just like the delivery on that is just Mm -hmm. really spot on and it's it's funny yeah. Because it, like, breaks that mood a little bit. But then it's preceded by a very long discussion about, here's how capitalism works in this industry. And yeah. that's, like, the weird thing is, like, I don't remember everyone making speeches. Mm-hmm. And this, it felt vaguely Sorkin-esque in a lot of ways. And I was just like, I'm not really here for that. And I think 
one of the other things that I end up coming to, and this is also like paratextual, so this is outside of the text, but Simon giving interviews and basically just like, well, like porn's infiltrated all of our culture. It's mm -hmm. like consumption and it's just like, it's, it's influenced everything and it's not particularly good that it's done that. Mm -hmm. And to which we all go, I don't necessarily think anyone's disagreeing with you, David. Mm -hmm. And, um, but let's, I don't know that we necessarily even needed to go back to the seventies for us to go sex had infiltrated our, our consumer culture to which yeah. I just went, I feel like sex and misogyny were already there. I kind of watched <laughs> Mad Men enough to know that David, but kudos for you for figuring it out is <laughs> like where I ended up landing with this is just like, I, I feel like he's he in a way that the wire did not feel self-important. Mm -hmm. The deuce ends up feeling weirdly self-important in that just wait guys, just wait. And it's just like, I don't want to, you gave me 90 minutes of exposition. I'll probably like try this for like a couple more episodes, mm -hmm. but I, I, my expectations are like super low. Yeah. Yeah. There's too much TV for me to yeah. stick around for this one. And yeah. and if it becomes amazing later on, let me know listeners. Yeah. Cause I can always like, you know, get some invoicing that I need to do and, and power through it. But like, and I feel bad saying that because the, the cast is so good and, and like, these are all actors and I'm assuming behind the scenes crafts people that like deserve full attention. Yeah. Yeah. Their but, set in New York looks pretty good, frankly. Yeah. But, but I don't, you gotta make me care. <laughs> I gave you 90 minutes. Yeah. And you didn't make me really care in that yeah. 90 minutes. Uh, certainly not enough to come right back for more. So, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see. Tipping point for not caring admittedly came pretty close to the end, but it was just like, oh, his wife's really upset. He's supporting his family. And it's just like, I, I need you to be around more, but I have to work two jobs. I need you to be around more. And it's just yeah. like, I, I don't understand what's happening right now yeah. in any of this. Well, and it, I don't, yeah. it's, it's like in Top of the Lake, if you want to have a character like Alexandra, Alexander, then you can't also want to have his girlfriend who's 19 and an idiot, but I'm supposed to care about her. Right. And she's making really stupid decisions <laughs> that are really obvious that anyone could tell you this is a stupid decision. You have to work a little harder to get me to be invested in that. And the same thing is true here with that dynamic between between Frank, good Franco and his wife. Good like, Franco, not bad Franco. Bad Franco. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I. Okay. Well, you're more yeah. positive on it than I am, and uh, I again, I think I am. But okay. I'm willing to give it like space. I think is. Okay. And I don't know that that's positive or just again me being a masochist. Possible. But, yeah. Possible. So, but tell me, like, about Room 104. Okay, so I watched Voyeurs, uh, which is the ballet episode or the dance episode, and I would say I, I also really liked it. I thought it was terrific. Okay. Um, I for me it was a little long, but yeah. uh, but I thought that it was was very good. I liked all the dance. I liked. I, mean, I thought towards the end they were a little on the nose with the subtext, but like <laughs> almost immediately you're like, oh, this is about is she going to get an abortion. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I thought the way that they conveyed all that was really effective and, um, until the end, subtle, 
uh, like the the wine bottle between the legs is not very subtle, but then they didn't do anything else for a while. Um, and where the different layers of remove were and versus where they weren't was interesting. So when the lipstick came out but didn't go on versus when it did go on and mm-hmm. um, and the cake and all these different things, I thought that it was all done really well. Yeah, I was surprised. I expected the younger version to be a little, even younger than she was. I didn't realize it was like someone in the, like their thirty, late twenties, thirties. Um, but I thought they did a good job. They did. They were deft with how they did the exposition, and um, and the way that they cross cut between memories of the older woman um, experiencing that as, but with the older woman cast in that moment, I thought that all worked very nicely. And uh, there was, there was some really good editing, um, as well as the choreography and the performances too. So I thought, I thought it was really good and, uh, co-signed everything you said last week. Yay. Good. I'm glad I knew I I was like 98% sure you'd like it, but I always like a 98% sure when I'm convinced (laughs) because I just need to leave two, 2%. To be wrong. <laughs> um, my only question for you about missionaries is, um, which is the one that we had this week. I was getting a little, uh, a little bit of, and I guess maybe this is probably what they intended, but this sense of the the two missionaries. Well, first of all, if I was a person of faith, I would be really frustrated by this representation. Yes, um, but um, I was curious what you thought about the ending were we supposed to think that the one character obviously the one character is gay but the other character are we supposed to think he's bi are we supposed to think he's like making up the stuff he's saying about these women he's attracted to i I was getting a strong sense of um of predation from the one of the two missionaries and i don't know if that was intentional or if i just wasn't picking up on stuff that i was supposed to be picking up on like i read a couple of reviews and they were those reviews saw it very much as a reciprocated thing that the other guy was too repressed to acknowledge and i think the ending was supposed to feel celebratory but yeah. in the episode like and this is something that we'll talk about with one mississippi I, which handles it much better um, and th- I, I wasn't getting that sense in, in the episode. So was that just a me thing? Were you with the reviews or how did you think they handled it? Uh, I didn't, I didn't like this episode overall. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really struggled to like watch it in part because like your point about representation, um, this just felt like aggressively broad and um, tired in a lot of ways. It's just like, Oh, look, they're repressed. It's just like, Oh my God, no, I- I've seen this already guys, give me something else to play here. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing else to play here. And so, like, your point about, like, predation, I think, is really spot on. Um, and, yeah, I, I feel like the episode thinks that the end is celebratory. But it's just, it's just, I just, nothing really kind of clicks. And I don't know what we're supposed to think. And mm-hmm. I think that the show is so invested in its ideas of open-endedness and twists which is like something that hurts the show when it's not executed well, and it hurts a lot, that the fact that it's ambiguous for both of us is mm-hmm. a bug, not a feature in this case. Yeah. Because they want to like have you doubt and have to think about it and play it back through your brain and go, but that thing with it, but the other thing, and just all of it. And I just go, 
I, you didn't do enough to make me care that you want this to be ambiguous, so I don't care. Mm-hmm. And that that was a real struggle. So it's like I don't I don't know, and but I also just don't care. Yeah. And that yeah yeah I, I really struggled with this one. Miss opportunity for some bi visibility. I think we can yeah. agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll we'll talk about more of that in a little bit. So next up is halt and catch fire. Uh, Tanya and Nancy. I loved having this cultural touch point of the Olympics centering the episode um yeah this was a fun episode what did you think no i really like this one as well um i'm struggling like a little bit with like the time jumps within episodes Mm -hmm. um because i really do feel like we're like hurling ourselves to like the present day (laughs) um which i still not sure how i feel about but i feel like we're like really fast-tracking our way up there, which makes sense because we're almost halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, overall, this was just a really fun episode. I like enjoyed the startup mentality that they managed to recapture again with Comet and how and how Haley is like into it and like is super excited she gets to throw pie in Gordon's face, which is just lovely. And yeah, so I just enjoyed all that. Um, uh, and but I like like the the setup for like the larger corporate stuff that's about to like come to force with just like the fact that uh, Donna and her BC have launched like this competitor that's kind of not working. But Boz is basically just like, I need money, please, <laughs> please. Well, and he's also 100 percent right that yeah. they aren't going to be able to do anything else with it yeah. until he gets Cameron, you know, I don't think he's looking for that. You could argue yeah. that, but I, I don't think he's looking for that from Cameron. But when yeah. Cameron helps them out, then all, that changes everything. But yes. he's completely right that they do not have what it takes. Um, yeah. And so I liked that. They, I liked the nuance of that, that they let him be right about that while we were all still rooting for, oh, the assistant, what's her name? Tanya. 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 Yeah. There was enough nuance to it. I thought it really worked. Yeah, it does. And so I'll be interested to see how they propel that forward and what ends up bringing Cameron forward, which leads leads us, I guess, with Cameron. Mm-hmm. Um, and her very, very bad episode. <laughs> <laughs> she has a very bad time this week. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not her week, definitely. Um, what yeah. do you think about, like, some of the choices she makes to, like, get the airstream and live in the middle of nowhere and like how did all of that play for you because like i don't know quite what i i I really struggled with like the thought process here i can totally buy her doing that like yeah this like i'll just do this and that'll solve everything like that's a very cam idea and then then she's committed to that and it's too late. I don't think that she necessarily regrets it at this point. No. Um, but just like she gets these ideas and then she go like commits to them fully a bit preemptively, like a, or sooner than she probably should. Um, and that, so that was all very in keeping with, uh, for me with her character and also not when she decides she doesn't want to just play house with Joe too. Yeah. She's kind of waiting for her next idea and we're waiting for her to get drawn into these ideas yeah <laughs> um so yeah i thought that 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 for me worked and i liked seeing her set up her own space and 
see how she wants to define herself outside of mutiny, outside of her relationship with Joe. Um, and just, and it, it just fit with the part of her that connects so strongly and, and connected so immediately with Boz. Like it, it just kind of made yeah. sense to me. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I, I think I just struggled with like, again, this goes to sort of like the time scale stuff, how quickly it happened within the course of the episode and going, I don't, I didn't see the structure between you and Joe really apart mm-hmm. from Joe cutting his hair. Um, and how do you have the money for this? Yeah, it was like the other thing. It was just like, I know that Airstream was probably cheap, but um, I don't think that land was. No. Um, <laughs> so I don't know where all of that was coming from either. And I, I also sort of struggled with Joe just being like, eh, she's fine. And it's just like, <laughs> I don't know that that's true, Joe. And I know that you know that that's not true. So, yeah, but I think overall... Um, I liked the episode. I think that there's one thing that we haven't discussed, though. Mm-hmm. And that's Anna Cholsky. Oh, and... I loved her so much here. Oh, Anna my gosh, she was yeah. so good. Yeah. And, like, how do you feel about, like, the potential, like, Gordon thing that's happening? Yes. And, yes. I'm on board. I mean, I mean I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm very much here for Gordon and 1990s library science lady. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, it's so good. And she, like... This show's very good about, like, fashion, but yeah. it, for her character, it was just like, oh, the, that is such a 90s, all of it is yeah. so 90s, and I love yeah. all of it. I'm so glad that this is here, and I'm so glad you got away from Veep for, like, a little bit to go come and do this and come mm-hmm. and play, because it's really fun, and I like how that character just sort of, like, gets what they're doing very quickly and is into it and wants it to work. Yeah. And I think that's really cool to have that there. Introducing her by having her break down <laughs> subcategories of death metal. Yes. Very smart. Yeah. We immediately like her when she's doing that. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Are was... you sure this wasn't your collection? <laughs> yeah, it was a little condescending, but appropriate for the time. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. The, like, like mansplaining and condescending uh, just the right level for her to yeah. still take the job and yeah. maybe not notice it. Um, but, Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was super fun. I look forward to hopefully seeing more of her in these next yeah. uh, run of episodes. Uh, do you think which team is she going to get drawn into? Because she connects much more with the Donna approach. Yeah, but you know she likes the people in the other on Haley's comet. So yeah, I don't know. I feel like she'll stick with Haley's. Mm-hmm. But um, we'll see. I'm excited. I'm still excited about the show. I'm always excited about the show right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Well, what wins your week in genre and drama? Um, that's a great question. Um, it was I the guess Orville, I'll... wasn't it? No, China Girl. <laughs> China Girl. China Girl totally. Um, no, I, I guess I have to give it to Halt and Catch Fire just by default since I didn't watch any really good genre or drama. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I'll give it to Halt and Catch Fire. What about you? Um, I, I'll give it to Voyeurs from Room 104. Okay. From last week, which I watched this week. Uh, yeah. There was some stuff that was that level in Outlander, but not the entirety so i'll give it to that instead now we will take a break and come back with our season spotlight on one mississippi season two be right back after this way down south mississippi calls my name 
So why did you move back? Isn't LA way more exciting? Not if your idea of excitement is spending your evenings with your 65-year-old stepfather. Tupperware goes on top, with melt on the bottom. Why? Otherwise, they do not receive the proper wash. Remy, I need to go over dishwasher procedure with you. I heard your radio show. And we love your soul. It is possible to pray the gay. Yeah. What if I want to pray the gay to stay? Uh, uh. Well, hello. I am a very fun person. Of course you are. You get anywhere with straight Kate? No. Oh, you just gotta make a move. I mean, that's what I do. You're missing the part where they end up not liking you because you've prematurely made a move. That's too much thinking for me. Let's face it, Mississippi is just not the right demographic for you. What happened to fearlessness? It's so cute. Our kids believe in dinosaurs, isn't it? What do you mean by believe? You know how they think they're real and everything. I've seen the documentary called Jurassic Park, and it's kind of hard to argue with that. Good morning, crowd of humans. What do I think? I love family. And by the way, I like it here. And uh, that's my number, in case you need to discuss anything further. Nikki. Nikki, stop flirting with me. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Calls Which as Ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, it is time for our season spotlight on one of the the better new shows last year. There was a bunch of them in contention last year. But one of the more interesting ones, certainly was one Mississippi. It came back for season two on, on Amazon Prime uh, just last week. And I think we need to start with one Mississippi uh, season two by just saying, is there any way that Felicia will not end up as your best new character of 2017 at the end of the year. Like, is there anyone else who's like, I guess the good place people might be in contention. Yeah. But they don't get to count because they started last year. Yeah. I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I feel like it has to be Felicia Cause she's because amazing. she's the best. Yeah. Um, no. So yeah, you just want to talk about Felicia. Let's just talk uh, about Felicia and like the perfection of watching bill and felicia's romance and the 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 way it flowers those performances they're so good the the cat we should mention um the that john rothman of course plays bill and shirley ralph plays felicia uh the like bill was such a singular character in season one that you couldn't really imagine someone else like him and then they bring in felicia and they complement each other so well it's this different flavor of similar traits, but that feels complementary and not uh, like it would cause friction. Like the writing for those characters and the performances from both. Oh, love it. No, it's super good. Like, um, I think your point about being complementary is really important because in a way that Bill is sort of just stuck and needs all of this stuff to sort of cope and exist. I think for Felicia, it's not only coping, but she's aware of a wider world in a lot of ways that Bill just simply is not. Mm -hmm. And Felicia is also like more in touch with emotions than Bill is. Bill just is sort of afraid to touch those. But Felicia is very clear at certain points about, I'm not comfortable with the fact that I'm pretty sure you're still kind of into your dead wife. Yeah. 
and I I need this, and you also kind of shrink away when I attempted to very gently and very friendly sort of touch you, mm-hmm. and I I need this sort of thing to be clearer, and she's very clear about that in ways that feel both in keeping with sort of the Felicia that we know as someone who has very strict routines, is a very strong proponent of the nest thermostat system, which is also just sort of like, yeah. And uh, Billboard for th- for the nest went up like the day after th- I was watching mm-hmm. those episodes, like on my drive, on my commute. I was like, yeah. ah, ah, that wasn't there before. <laughs> <laughs> so I liked all of that. and But then like when we get like friction between them arguing about the thermostat. Mm-hmm. And her just being like, no, it's a very precise thing. You're obviously doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's so good. It's so funny. But it's also just incredibly endearing because that is what these two would fight about and snipe to each other about is the nest system. And it's just so like chef's kiss perfect mm-hmm. that I could I could not believe how happy I was watching this. Yeah. And then, like, the extent of his, like, horror at realizing that Desiree was just messing with it and that he yes. had been brusque. For yes. He, like, yes. undeservedly. Oh, it was so good. I I was rude to my friend. And it's just like, this is, like, the biggest breach for Bill is, like, I was rude to someone I actually like. Mm-hmm. And that is a major problem for me. A, it speaks volumes about, like, what Bill values, but mm-hmm. it was also just, like, so it was so good and then his whole i'm getting woke now um, <laughs> and then he won't shut up about it about the wedding like at the wedding what? and those poor poor nice family members at the wedding are just like oh, i mean we don't want to discourage you from being no, aware we don't of this stuff discourage, but, but maybe just stop talking about it a little bit it's my wedding but, yeah <laughs> But he also like compensates for that by when his when uh, Felicia's mom is grilling him and just like I bet you don't know X who works in blank and he, he pauses for a moment and then goes no she's a really important part of our industrial sales team and it's just like a <laughs> Bill would know that yes and B would have that opinion and C doesn't make it sound smug when he says it he's just like. Right, no, I do know her, and it's just like it's so good, and <laughs> and but no, it's just like it's I I really appreciated how like that wedding scene planned out, even if it was all of what Bill was doing when he was discussing how newly woke he was was super cringeworthy and almost needed to sort of be muted to mm-hmm. get through it, but it was so good, yeah. and his whole just general response to like the Buddhist wedding thing Mm -hmm. was also just really great and i just i really enjoyed it and his insistence that it was just it was it's just clearly fact ma'am that you've raised two very good daughters (laughs) and i'm not sucking up to you it's just verifiable fact look at them they're right here they're both very nice people (laughs) (laughs) yeah no the uh we enjoy in my family um the implied bitch which is the tone of voice that just implies a pause bitch at the end or some you know duration and intensity and the look the little glance that felicia has from like at her mother and at bill was just this beautiful implied bitch it was just in that moment when he recognizes the name of the friend she's like that's right mother (laughs) 
that's, I'm going to need you to back off a little bit here. Yeah, that was great. It was, it was super fun. That whole sequence delivered so fully on the potential. Um, as soon as you hear that the wedding is, you know, like, it's like, oh, that could be a thing that we, you know, that the show draws from heavily later on. And then they totally deliver. Um, I think we also got to talk about Desiree and the, yeah. the respect the show has for that character while mocking really? her in okay. while mocking okay. her intensely about her her and incessantly her lack <laughs> of belief in dinosaurs yeah but the emotional respect it has for her like that she does really care about Remy um there's some there's some absolute like taking advantage of his situation and the house and making herself at home in a way that is not appropriate but it never questions her affinity like how much she cares about Remy um she doesn't like you could argue how much she's just like taking over the house and that that doesn't necessarily come from a positive place but she does genuinely like she when she cooks that big dinner like that's her way of apologizing that's her way of yeah. really showing how much she cares and while she um has in my opinion abhorrent views on several issues she like there's a core of of like what should be a good person there that has just in my opinion been warped by the way she like the ideology and beliefs that she was raised with um like like her one of those people kind of comments about you know about lesbians and um there's no such thing as science and all all these different issues i i really appreciated that the show doesn't make her a joke like doesn't make remy's relationship with her a joke i i don't think by the end um how do you feel about it so it sounds like i'm giving it more rope than you are you're giving it so much more rope than i was um i really struggled with um desiree i did not struggle with carly jepson's performance which i think is good given the material that she has yeah but i think that the show a keeps a bunch of southern stuff onto this one character and expects her to carry all of it and that really hurts the character in a lot of ways for me because okay. it's just like i know a lot of people like this and they're they're exactly like this and it's exhausting mm -hmm. and it's but it feels like a sort of like shorthand in a lot of ways because they don't have the space or the money to like fully engage like the community that they need to introduce a character that is all of these things into mm -hmm. their lives to have it. And it just, it feels like a lot to put onto that character. They put a lot of like physical comedy onto her as well, which I really struggled with. Mm -hmm. um, like that whole sequence in which she just has two pumps on her yeah. for like a solid, like five minutes. And it's just like, we're just going to keep going for a laugh here that I'm not, wasn't funny really after you explained it. And then we're just going to keep them there. And it's just like, it's, it was really bizarre. And it just, it felt really broad mm -hmm. as well. And like a lot of like, it, like when she was just like, I don't believe in dinosaurs. I just went, oh, this is every Southern cliche I can think of in one person. And I kind of also know Southern cliches like this. I've met this Southern cliche. Um, <laughs> so it, it was really sort of tough to get through that character. 
even if I do agree with you insofar as like her emotional center is very much there, I have no doubt that she legitimately cares for Remy and that Remy cares for her and that how she was like making up for like her intrusion through the dinner is so very Southern and just all of this stuff I think is believable and workable, but where it gets dressed up and like just sort of like graded me was the fact that it just, it's so much and so broad that I just kind of kept like shrinking back from the character in ways that I didn't want to. And I, I, and I, I, I feel like just a lot of that is just me and exposure to people like this and just like being able to see people I know behave like this and have said things like this and just go, I like you, but no, just no mm-hmm. type of thing. And seeing it all in one character in this sort of a setting is just like aggressively community like this is where we this is where we have our mississippi community type of thing because we're getting away from the reenactors which i thought was a really weird decision for them to like shift away from all of that really rich material that was Mm -hmm. right there waiting to be mined and they just went nope not gonna do that and i just went oh so we're gonna do this really broad southern character instead oh i was much more interested in that storyline over there (laughs) Well, I wouldn't be surprised, um, given events of this year, if there's a season three, if that reenacting comes back up. Right, right. And I mean, it's like they're circulating, like in that first episode, I just went, oh, this is going to be good. It's Mm going to be good. And then I just went, no, we're not going to do this. And I just went, oh, guys, I I understand why. Yeah, I think uh, it works for Remy not wanting to to be challenged, you know? Yeah. And and that making that choice that maybe we wish he wouldn't make, but I think it yeah. it does make sense it works for him. And the way that they then tie that thread down, you know, all the way by the end of the season to this revelation about Tig's yes. abuse, I thought was really powerful and right. um and really affecting and certainly not at all what I would have expected they would use this character of Desiree to help facilitate to get us yeah. to that and that question of like well why hasn't he been in a bunch of relationships why hasn't he had you know like he's a great guy why has he not opened himself up to really dating just mostly going after one person who he liked in his group but not actually doing anything to start up a relationship with her um, when she seems like she's amenable to that potentially Um, so like you know it was interesting and we'll see what they do with that if they you know, yeah. continue in, in, in another season but the fact that he he's a teacher <laughs> he's yeah. not particularly religious in a big way prior to this season he believes in science and he doesn't flinch when she says there's no such thing as dinosaurs they never existed yeah. because he is so desperate to be loved and to be appreciated and to have this family um that he does not care about it. He will overlook that. I think part of him probably does coming from that household, but like the part of him that doesn't, that is holding on so strongly to something so bare, like it's not healthy. They've been dating for a month and they're moved in. And he's like, now I have a baby. Like that's, that's not, (laughs) you know, for most people, it's not a good sign for the longevity and the stability of that relationship. 
for some people it works out that's great you know if you know you know yeah. and all of that but like it doesn't seem like that's what they're going for here so um yeah, yeah no i just thought the way that that all progressed it took these these turns that i certainly didn't expect it to take when the character was introduced and uh, when desert was introduced and and i really i really enjoyed that the journey there even if I absolutely agree that this is the, by far the broadest character on the show, and that's including the Shock Jocks. Yeah. Yeah, but the Shock Jocks get so little play overall. It's just like two scenes. Yeah. That it's just like I'm willing to just kind of let that go. Yeah. But this is like she's a recurring character across – she's a recurring guest character across basically the entire season. Yeah. And that was just like frustrating. Um, yeah. yeah, so – Let's so, talk about Kate. Yeah, let's talk about Kate, because we've talked about, like, basically the other two storylines. Mm. So let's talk about the third main storyline, which is Kate. Yeah. Um, so first of all, um, I kind of forgot or just did not know that Nataro and Alani were actually married. Oh, okay. And that this is actually roughly based on their own lives and their own coming together of their relationship. Mm-hmm. I did not know any of that until, like, halfway through watching this season. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Amazon helpfully told me when I went to go pause the episode, and the Amazon X-ray thing was up, yeah. and it was just like this is based on their own lives, and I just went, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so let's talk about Kate. How are you feeling about like Kate's journey throughout this um, episode? Because I was very much like, yay, and then I was like, no, and then I was just like, <laughs> yay. I think maybe we're committing yeah. to this all right. Yes, yes. So yeah, how did you feel? I thought they did such a wonderful job with that storyline. And because and we talked I talked about this a little bit with Room 104 this week with the episode Missionaries um that it's so easy for that idea of the the character who's queer um being attracted to having strong feelings for someone who identifies as not attracted to their gender um that and then but then being like the other person won't take the hint or like the 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 friend keeps asking too much of them like i've seen that storyline done really well like really well like almost never usually it's it's squicky it's predatory the um like the one of them is a bad person you know or is uh the show like overlooks or doesn't try, you know, ignores how messed up the dynamic can be. And I thought that they did such a wonderful job this season of, of, of just, just having Tig sit back and not push the relationship just being like, no, I can tell she, she's into me. She just is not dealing with it yet. But there's never a sense of, if she would just go out with me, she'd know, you know, if she yeah. just let me kiss her, she'd like, there's never any of that. And the, that respect along paired with frustration that Tig has toward Kate is essential in, in us investing in that relationship and not just being like, go chase after the queer lady who's on the morning team. Like, you know, like yeah. when, as soon as she shows up in the bar, you, you could be like, ah, there's a potential love interest at the workplace, you know? But the the dynamic between Nataro and uh, uh, Alan, Alin, um, Stephanie Allen, who plays Kate, Alan, yeah, yeah, is like it's terrific, and it's pretty rare for actual couples to have good on-screen chemistry. Yeah, but yeah. they they work so incredibly well together, and 
the again the pacing of that arc over the season works really well the amount like the handling of it the decisions and the missteps that happen along the way are are just again so deftly maneuvered uh the fact that it's based on true i think speaks to that and it helps you know with the authenticity of it and the respect of it so for me it, it worked like gangbusters yeah, no, it totally works like gangbusters for me as well. Um, especially like your point about like the frustration of it all mm-hmm. uh, was really, really essential because it's just like it's it's Natara does such a great job of making that very clear on like frustration on like multiple different like fronts. Yeah. Of like clearly you're into me. Please just acknowledge this so that we can be happy together. Yeah. But also just like the whole thing of like, I'm of like her sort of like wavering and not being able to like the kiss. And then the, no, no kiss that, that was like, I'm sorry about it. And then just like all of it. And it's just, it's so deftly and emotionally handled. Like you said, and I just, I couldn't get enough of it. So even, like, towards the end when um, Kate's really, really upset, and mm-hmm. we'll get to that. And, yeah, like, we'll do that I'm next. <laughs> that we'll do that next, because, boy. And, yeah. yeah oh. uh, but so, like, her whole thing of just, like, there's no expectations there. Yeah. And that whole concept of, like, when Kate's just like, I stayed up all night thinking about you, and Tig's just like, and so yeah. like i don't i don't i don't want to do this anymore type of thing yeah i, I can't i i did a whole musical number when you walked in yeah after kissing me yeah. i can't do another musical number yeah because Which, <laughs> can we just say shout out to fun home love that they included that song from fun home so good it's so good yeah um so yeah so no i really i just it was really good and also like your point about both of them just having an immense amount of chemistry Mm -hmm. and working through this was just really really good and like they've talked in interviews um particularly alan who's gone like i this is basically how i kind of like realized that i was in love with her it was just like deep kind of denial followed by the realization that I just wanted to be around her all of the time. And I was mm-hmm. thinking about her all the time mm-hmm. and it's just went, Oh yeah, I'm in love with her. And I don't know what that means for me. And I like the, the, the that ambiguity comes into play here as well. Like whether or not Kate, what Kate generally will identify as going forward yeah. isn't made clear. And I'm, very okay with that in this yeah. case because this is much more of a sort of like awakening story but it's also a i don't know that it matters because yeah. these two people love each other so kate's label doesn't really matter in this case mm-hmm. tig's got a preference but kate who cares in yeah. this sort of situation of like she'll figure it out and that's going to be interesting to watch going forward provided they get a third season exactly and that's that like that idea of we get tigs coming out and like she talks about that on the radio show and figuring out her her sexuality and and how she identifies and everything and we haven't gotten that yet for kate because she's still figuring it out she's just come to terms with the fact that she loves tig um which is wonderful um it, it the in the sense of I, I totally buy the sense of Kate then having this struggle of 
does this mean that I'm gay? Have I always been gay? What does that mean about these other relationships? She's, it's very confusing for her. Um, yeah. I look forward to the point where that isn't where someone defaults to, like this yeah. this binary where we can have a more more of the instant reaction be Daryl's on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend of, oh, right. I guess I'm bi, because I did love my wife, yeah. but I also am really attracted to White Josh. And who can blame him. And who can blame him. <laughs> I mean, have you seen the guy? And also, he's amazing and just the right amount of judgy. So, yeah. um, but I look forward to that being our culture, but that isn't yet for a yeah. lot of people. So yeah. so there's an opportunity for the character here to be by and for that to be a conversation that they have in the next season if they want to, or for the character to be to be gay or for the character to, to not identify and not be sure and not want to deal with labels because he yeah. doesn't care. Kate doesn't care right now, at least. Um, and I just thought the way that again all of that was handled was was fabulous. When when Tig's like, oh no, I'm not just gonna move to New Zealand with you and yeah. rent a house. That's crazy. No. no, no, no. But like, I'm not gonna go in a closet for you all the way across yeah. the continent so that you because you can't yeah. handle the fact that you're into me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, also just like outside of the show, just like this dropping the same season, the same time as Bojack Horseman, which has like an extended, um, from what I understand, um, a, a sexuality storyline mm-hmm. uh, for one of its characters. It's just like it's really nice to see like both of these like get come out at the same time. Even though Bojack, I feel like has been sucking up a lot more of the oxygen yeah. um, compared to what's been really good about one Mississippi this season. Um, but it was really good for both of these to sort of like drop at the same time and do these sort of non non-binary sort of explorations of sexuality in a way that we haven't really seen before and that i also have not seen because i haven't watched any bojack horseman but i've read about it and a friend of mine like also like talked to me a lot about the episode as well or well, the stretch of episodes so it sounded all pretty good and yeah. so I've, I've really enjoyed what we got with kate and uh, tig in this um okay I guess, we gotta I guess talk. We have to talk about this uh, yeah, let's talk, talk about, about it. Jack we... Hoffman. Yeah, I mean, come on, his name is Jack Hoffman, so come. On. I just like I appreciate I that. I did not pick up on that. That is amazing. Please continue. <laughs> um, so this is clearly, I mean, uh, this is a fictional Should we work. Context for this as well. Or... However, this is clearly a commentary on the rumors about Louis C.K taking out uh himself out and masturbating in front of female comedians um there's a long series of rumors about this happening to people um nothing officially on the record but it's like one of those like open secret kind of ideas um and i love that they did that they did it they did this story and that they especially because of course um he's a producer on the show he was involved um, at the very beginning of getting the show made, but has not been involved at all since then. And the interviews asking Tig about that because of obviously the storyline in the season um, have made that very clear. It's like, no, he's had like, I haven't even seen him in a year. Uh, <laughs> I appreciated that, that distance. Cause I was a little uncertain how to feel about some of the, the these threads knowing about that context. Uh, but I, I loved the execution of that sequence, the storyline, the way everything then progressed from there. And once again, how they pivoted that into this conversation 
about Tig's reaction to her own abuse and like and and again not diminishing what Kate went through and not diminishing how messed up this is that this is the kind of thing that can happen in the entertainment industry and, and can someone can any industry any industry and have a very very successful career not even have a blip on it um but then so not diminish that but then channel that discussion into why is this affecting you so much other than because you're a human being just the same way that we had this conversation of, around uh remy and desiree's like physical relationship the the right. lack of physicality pivot into the same the same thread this wound that's still at the core of their family um as much as much progress as they've made i just again i just tip of my hat i thought it was very well handled very well like tied together at the end yeah i mean it's a just super bold and just really that they're like no the executive producer of our show did this Mm-hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it and we're gonna demonstrate and we're yeah. gonna do all of this and it's just like this is really cool it's not cool but it's it's really bold and like yeah i was i like knew that they were going to do something i didn't know that they were going to do this mm-hmm. and it was just like while it was happening i just went oh 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 like i was like deeply like excited that they did this from just like a representational a sort of like story narrative pivot sort of thing that they're going to do this but also like take on like this ck as this sort of well he's so progressive which is what the character in the thing actually utters Mm -hmm. and in the show actually utters which is what we've what plenty of people have said about ck's type of stuff and it's just like this is just very very good in terms of tackling these headlines and this um this um alleged um thing that has happened yeah abuse it's yeah abuse yeah and so that whole sequence is just really beautifully shot like i like the way he gets fuzzy but we're seeing him from like behind her ear almost Mm -hmm. and just like the the, how she how kate's trying to cope and like literally like distance herself from it and it's just really aesthetically well executed but then your point about how this ties into everything else is just gold really like Mm -hmm. the way that it like uh also like carries through with kate's own history of abuse that she's never recognized really as abuse which they did such a wonderful job of setting up earlier in the season in right. a very organic way, but then pays off so much more here. It's like, this is what yes. we train women to think and to, in our society and how, to engage with completely inappropriate behavior to the point where she does pull in and is not going to say, and it takes Tig standing up for her, for her to yeah. express that, that anger and that, that, uh, the, the predatory nature of it and how it's not okay. And all of that's, it, it, it like helps to drive them together, but it, it also just like helps, like you said, to help Remy have that realization about mm-hmm. things and deeply affecting. And then it even impacts what happens with um, Bill and Cheryl. Um, Felicia, yes. Felicia, yeah. Bill and Felicia in ways that are just like, gut punches as well so this is like nothing gets spared from like this one thing that was caused by this other thing and it's just such an elegant set of dominoes that happens here mm-hmm. that and over basically like the course of like two episodes really is the other thing like 
I want to say it's two episodes. It may yeah. just be one. It is. No, it, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, the, it's two. Yeah. Okay. And it's just that they're able to do that across like two episodes and do it as well and as tight as they're able to do it is just really, really impressive. And mm-hmm. I just kind of couldn't get over it for like a day or so. And I was just like, why isn't anyone talking about this? <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> this was just really well done and i don't see anyone talking about this right now mm-hmm. um and it, yeah it was just really really good it was so good yeah really efficient storytelling but still impactful and right. not sacrificing the one for the other sacrificed right yeah it doesn't feel all of it feels perfectly timed and paced yeah. and yeah, yeah 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 compared like the deuce is one ninety minute <laughs> episode which the same amount of time for half of the season of the show. There's no you question know, where you want to spend your time. You know that Stuart storyline from the Deuce is going to pay off in like episode 10 of season two, man. Yeah. That's, that's not. Yeah. I don't, I won't be watching, so I won't know that. Um, yeah. Any, any final thoughts about the, the show? I'll, I'll mention, I love the use of music. I really enjoyed, um, it was Missy Pyle, right? Shows up as the musician. Uh, that was fun, and and I still, I still love like there's been several articles going around recently about the Netflix skip intro thing. Uh, I never skip the intro for this show because I this the song is so catchy. Yeah, it's very catchy. <laughs> yeah, and yes, I do skip over the BoJack intro, and I know that that is like an abomination to a lot of people. For me. It's way too long. I get that it's getting you into the headspace of the characters. I understand that. I understand the functional purpose of it. It works for you. That's great. I will skip that intro every single time I watch BoJack. Unless I just can't reach the remote. So I appreciate this intro and the the music in this show a lot a lot more. And I know that that's blasphemy to many, Noel. But that's just what I am. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think so. Like, one of the things that I really liked about this, this, this show in general is that it's efficient and it makes really good use of its time. And we've discussed the entire season. Yeah. And I, I feel like there's like more that we could like dig into, but mm-hmm. it's just like, we, we've dug into like all three of the main plot lines. Yeah. Well, and, and there's more if you it's wanted really to, efficient. we could get, yeah. there is more there. Like, oh. like I love like when talking about Desiree, like her reaction to she does start listening she doesn't agree with Tig about like anything yeah. but she still listens to her show yeah. and her reaction to Bill coming home is just to bear hug him even though that's yeah. not what he wants but she's just like overcome with this emotion for him and this sympathy and for what the family's had to deal with like the like little choices like that are are why I appreciate the show but I yeah. think I think we've you know, as much as I would love to talk more about Felicia and Bill at the end of the season and how she's going to be back next year, guys, it, if there's another season, it is happening because I'm willing it into existence. Yeah. Happy ending for Bill and Felicia. Um, we should call it there, though. We should we should cap yeah. the discussion yeah. there. So people should watch One Mississippi. Yes. Yes. And it's such a it's such an easy commitment to make mm-hmm. is the thing. We're not asking a lot. No. Six, six thirty six twenty two minute episodes. They're yeah. not even like Netflix half hour episodes. Yeah. They're legitimate half hour episodes, everyone. <laughs> and you could definitely just start on season two if you wanted. Yeah, you could. It it totally works as uh, just a perfect standalone, even though you don't get like the slow build up of Kate mm-hmm. and Tig, but uh it 
it still all works. Yeah. So it, it would totally work. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook and start up a conversation on a page there. You can find us on iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And we're also up on Stitcher. And we'd appreciate ratings and reviews either places. It helps other people find the show. Um, and of course, we're both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. And Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Um, thank you once again, Noel. Thank you for prompting me to to like sit down and, and prioritize one Mississippi season two because I would have gotten to it, but I'm so right. glad I got to it right away. Me too. I'm glad you did because like I was just like I was watching it while I was finishing work on Friday because that's how <laughs> excited I was to have it back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you once again, Noel. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.